It's not that deep, bro. You said it right this time. See, I'm a fast lad. <laughs> yeah, after 10 episodes. <laughs> well, now you're the one who can't count, because this is episode 12, my friend. Okay, alright, whatever. Same thing. <laughs> <food. laughs> <laughs> episode 11. 12. Exciting episode stuff. Episode 12. And it is indeed still isolation here in the UK, but not to the detriment of the It's Not That Bro Deep Bro podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bro deep. <laughs> it's not that bro deep. We are pushing Same forward. Know. We're you know, pushing forward. We're on a roll. This is mm-hmm. week three. Let's, uh, let's and you're hit ba- it. And you're back to work, aren't you, Martin? Tomorrow, unfortunately. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, sad. Sad. Yeah, a lot of people nowadays are like, oh, we've been off work for nine weeks now, and I just want to go back to work. And I'm like, <laughs> I just want another nine weeks. <laughs> I would, I would happily stay at home for another nine weeks. Doesn't bother me at all. But at least we're pushing on in this department, Martin. I'm still mm-hmm. holding the fort here on my own at mine in Good. the isolation. Good. Good. So, are you uh, doing, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? I am in a constant flow of. I wake up and I choose something creative to do that day, be it work on music or uh, work on like a blog post or if it's just organizing social media stuff, I just choose something depending on how I feel when I wake up and then I'll go through like bursts of three, four hours working on it, take 45 minutes for myself, go eat something, you know, go for a walk or something, come back, put another three, four hours and just bounce like that until I feel ready to sleep. And you just get as much done as you can in the day. Fair enough. Um, mine's completely different. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, my life's going to change. It's going to go back. To, what? You know, we all lead different lives. Mm, it's going to go back to normal now. Well, we'll uh, see. We'll see what normal is. Normal. If, um, if, if it's too much, then I'll probably be back. But yeah. We'll see. This week, I have got you watching. It's a classic film. It's not it's as classic. it's not as kind of weird or esoteric as some of the films that we watch. I'm sure you've heard of it. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg's 1977 science fiction classic. I'm sure film. a lot of you have seen this film, but we'll start off by hearing Martin's kind of take on what the film was and what his experience was, and then I'll give you answer any questions Martin has about the film and kind of give you the context on why that film was made and um, what the director Steven Spielberg meant by it all. So what did you think of it Martin? It's uh, it's my dream. <laughs> it's my dream. <laughs> I want that to happen to me. I want everything that happened in that film to an extent to happen to me like some people might call you very selfish Martin for having that attitude what? some people may call you very selfish for having that attitude don't care like what about why would they be selfish? what about Roy Neary's family? well 
well, let's not jump to the end of the film here. So, yeah, we can yeah, establish yeah. that. Say how it starts, Martin. Okay. Um, it starts with. I don't. I can't remember his last name. I know his Claude first name is Roy. Ah. The scientist is called Claude. His American interpreter is called Dave. No, 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 no. And then no, no. the main character is called Roy Neary. Roy Neary. Right. So it starts off quite quite simple. There's there's men heading into a town in Mexico. Correct. Where they find five or six planes. And as a viewer, you're like, oh okay, they just found pl- they just found some planes that um were being used at the time. They look brand new. Uh, why not? It's all good. Then they find out that they, them planes have been have disappeared and and been gone for fifteen years. They were missing. Brand new. In the they weren't missing. Triangle. In the yep, exactly. And it's sort of a sort of a big big revelation. Everyone's like, "What the fuck? What is going on?" And the person that found all these planes was this old man who said, uh, hopefully I'm not butchering this, but he, he said that he saw the sun and it sang to him. The sun came out at night and sang to him. That's it. That's it. That's what I said. I butchered it big time. That's all right. All right. I, I, got, the, I got the information. At the at the time, when I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, "Oh, this is this is it. This is going to be this is the big boy." And then you um, hear also about two commercial airline flights that nearly get hit by by something. It, they don't uh, say what it is. Yes, which they, would they make do, them unidentifiable. Mm, mm, they, but they do. They do say in the in the um, in the sort of as as the saying. Do you know what what it is? They're like, oh, I don't know, but it's bright. It's the brightest thing I've ever seen. It's the brightest thing. They after they nearly get hit. I, I'm guessing the commander of that sort of airline. They're like, oh well, do you want to? Do you want to say it's a UFO or not? And he's like, no, I don't want to. So like, well, if, if they say it's a UFO, they're going to, people are going to be constantly thinking, oh, you're crazy. Opens up Con- the can of worms, doesn't mm, it? Mm, you're crazy. You're so crazy. How can you see a UFO? Aliens ain't real and all this shit. Yeah, definitely. So then we see a young boy sleeping and all his toys turn on all at once. All of them. It's it, what gets me is about that scene is how long it took his mother to wake up. Like all these toys, everything in the house is shaking. There's so much like there's so much stuff going on, and yet she's not like yeah. But mine. Uh, when you wake up, 
like it can be a disorientating experience at the best of times without all that stuff happening. So I can give the woman the benefit of the doubt that. No, 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 no. When you wake up and you're disorientated, is because you're waking up from a sound sleep, right? If there, if there's police outside, not that there were outside, but if there's police outside with sirens on, fucking at the loudest they could be, opening another house, you would hear them be like, "What the fuck?" And wake up. She woke up like there was nothing wrong. I don't know. I'm a I'm a deep sleeper. <laughs> that that <laughs> also that's some deep shit. That is some deep shit. You're right. You know what I mean? Because her son ends up being taken away. Yeah, but not that. Not the the first time though. That's oh, <laughs> he okay. starts going into he starts going into the forest and she has to go search for him. Like if you had a holy shit, if that was my son. And he's suddenly gone into a forest and at night and he's just like getting missing. I'm like, oh, I yeah, would lose my fucking mind. But scary. she didn't seem that bothered. Okay. I don't I don't get it. I just it didn't seem like she was like we'll get there later. she had care. I remember her care goes up a bit later in the film. Yeah, yeah. But at so, the start, it's so like funny how she's like so careless and then it gets better goes along the film and she's more like, oh, maybe I should care about my son. You, you know what I mean? So that, that opening scene kind of gives us a few different unexplained situations that are happening across America mm -hmm. at that time. And the last one we see is a an electrician who is going to sort out a large-scale power outage in his local area. area. Mm -hmm. And it's out like in the desert, isn't it? You can like look over the little village town thing that he lives in, and he something happens to him as he's going to that that scene <laughs> where he's so like he stops and he's like, oh, I don't know. If you were if you were an electrician, you would. It's uh, at that time I sort of get it because it's like there's no there's no like iPhone, you can't just get your phone out and be like, oh, I know where I'm going. It's going this way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, it's going that way. He has to, like, constantly look at different maps and he doesn't know where he's going. I would have thought if you were an electrician, you'd be like, oh, I know where that is. Yeah, I'll just fucking drive there. He's there like, am I, am I going the right way? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I constantly. It might be difficult to put yourself in the shoes of a white middle class electrician in the 1970s, Martin. I think there might be problems and social and technological barriers that we have become used to today. Yeah, yeah. Our phones. That, yeah, that may not have existed back then, but... He, there's a lot of other people. It's on this... I love the place where they, where he, they have this viewing of this UFO. It's like this big kind of road coming up to a hill isn't it and then just mm -hmm. over the hill there's like it kind of it goes down the hill goes down but you can see this like wide expansive desert and these ufos come like right up through like this little canyon rocky road past all these people there's loads of people there waiting for the ufo aren't they yeah, yeah. They, know it's, a, they know it's they coming. know it's coming they, yeah they know they yeah. all know it's coming and he's Which like is, Looking around, it, that, but that's but that's not the first time he he gets them. 
That's not well, that's not the first time he sees them. Oh, that's not yeah, I, I I am just reading that now that he there's police cars following him. He follows the police cars. No, no, no. That was before before then. There's a there's a scene where he he's like he he saw constantly stopping every like sort of mile to look at the map. And obviously, there's a power outage. He, it's hard for him to see. It's so above he, him. Yeah, he he, yeah. Well, he he saw he saw stops, and then there's a car behind him, and he's like, "Yeah, go around." And then the car's like. You stop in the fucking middle of the road. What are you doing? And then he just fucking drives off. And then the UFO comes behind him. And then he looks at the lights, obviously, are like beaming at him. And he's like, oh, yeah, go around. And the, the, the you just see the UFO go, oh, you just see something go up instead of like going across him. Go up and then go above his car. And he saw like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is going on? And then everything in his car just stops. Affects all the electronics. Yeah, all the electronics are gone. He has, like, no lights. No, Like, he had a flashlight that, that doesn't work anymore. Obviously, his car turns off. And then just a vast, massive beaming light on him. And he just sort of looks up. And it fucking burns half his face. Burns his face, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's just... That was the sort of, like... Um, he then follows after he sees that no 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 after he sees that he he then um, like stops (laughs) this this scene made me laugh because he he, this is happening and like like as soon as the light beams on the car everything starts like um, levitating sort of and it's just like he's just screaming so much out because he's like scared obviously this is happening to him he doesn't know what the fuck he's he's fucking his half his arm is burned half his face is burned and it's just like oh shit and then the the thing just leaves and like drives away and he just sees it and he's like okay okay where's it gone and then once he's like okay cool (laughs) it's all gone the fucking flashlight turns, the power of the flashlight turns back on and he freaks out. <laughs> and so does the car. And make, like, as soon as I saw that, it made me fucking laugh so much. And then he sort of like follows, follows the the, uh, the UFO, but at yeah. really, a really fast pace. And at this time, just as he's coming up to that bridge, that you, or to that uh, top of that mountain or hill or whatever, mm. He nearly hits the boy, and that's how he meets that woman. Ah, the, the woman, the woman, like saves her own son, just in time before Roy hits the, hits the, hits the boy, and it's the first time that they sort of meet each other, and they sort of like have a connection. And I'm like, you got a wife and three kids, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that that. That was the first time that I, I saw, like, got like, oh, okay, this guy doesn't care about his his family because if he's willing to, like, have this sort of connection with this woman, first time he meets her, well, he's sort of like, mm. what we're gonna see as this film goes on is that in people who actually claim they've had these experiences claim that it kind of takes over everything. It, because it's unexplained, it 
becomes a big question mark in your head and it becomes problems trying to sleep and it becomes a big issue. But that, <laughs> if you find someone else that kind of seems to be looking to answer that same question that you're looking to answer, that can be like quite like compelling because no one else normally understands the nature of these events because it, you know that's the they're unexplained that's the whole mm-hmm. deal and people don't like unexplained things but we will see as the film progresses that this experience that Mr. Neary has um, takes over takes over his, his headspace <laughs> yeah it, it just it, it takes over his life but he, he returns home or is there a gap is there something you wanted to fill in there? No, it was it was not. Well, yeah, it was, it's sort of like the whole. Or well, you're about to say anyway. It's sort of like what connection they had, and it it's so weird to think about the connection they had because he had a different experience compared to what he he had. Right. Yeah. So obviously, as the film progresses, right? we'll, yeah, we'll see that the thing that is communicating something unexplained is communicating with these people, and it shows itself in different ways. But the idea is that it's one intelligence. It's one mm-hmm. thing yeah, that is one doing thing. all of this this it, activity. It's, it's not like it's it's more than. <laughs> It's not like it's different people going, oh, yeah, go go here, go there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or different that's, places. That's really why this film is quite significant, because it presents you at the beginning with a selection of different events that are all unexplained. And by the end of it, we get to meet the, the culprit and the cause of those events, kind of. But back to Mr. Neary. He returns home to his wife, Ronnie, um, right. who, that's the weirdest name for like for oh, yeah, a, a woman over here in Britain. Ronnie is very much a man's name. I don't <laughs> yeah. any, I've never met a woman called Ronnie. But yeah, me either. Like, what, what's the short? It's it must be short for something. Renette. You know I mean, Renette. Yeah, might be Renette. I could be right. Like, I'd, let me just check see if she has some sort of extended name. Rhonda. <laughs> no, no, she's just down as. Um, Ronnie Neary, Roy's wife. So, yeah, he returns home to her and he's just fairly obsessed with the idea. Now, so obsessed that he gets everyone out of bed in the middle of the night to see something that's not there. What what is it? What is it? Is Is there something that he thinks is a UFO in the sky, but it's not? He, yeah, he, he saw like, oh, yeah, it's just weird. It's this bright light, really bright. You should see it. I need you to see it. And I'm going back there tomorrow. He's just constantly saying. And he's and just he, constantly writing and drawing the same picture so over and over again. Very, and I love the process of this. Because you say it's the same picture, but it kind of develops. Like over uh, over the course of him, he, he ends up trying to make. He has a shape in his head, an image, a shape, and seemingly any activity that he is doing ends up just being geared towards this image. If he's yeah. got a pen in his Everything. hand, he's going to draw that image. If he's eating food, 
he's going to end up modeling that food into a model of this image that he has in his head, um, which is a fascinating part of this phenomena. In, um, he also says in every situation that he does it, he says, um, this is important, this means something. Yeah, that would be that feeling that I mm -hmm. would just referring to that probably that woman with the child, Jillian, had um, that those two connected over. It's like this feeling yeah, the thing that they're seeing and that life, there's something more going on and it all has meaning and it directs these people to lead peculiar lives. It seems they're being driven, you know, the, the fuel that they're running on, the signals they're receiving in their head seems to be different after these experiences. Which, which leads me, like, to believe, like, it's they're doing it. These people, not all the people that were drawn to that place had a UFO experience then. Like, they didn't have the experience. Because that woman didn't have a, an experience. She didn't see them. She saw, like, the only, yep. the only time she, like, saw, see something is when she's, like, protecting her son. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And the this is a big part of why people don't want to talk about UFOs in general and why there's this whole kind of uh, stigma of ridicule and like an embarrassment to talk about it. It's because it's unexplained. And if you can't it's come stupid. into like a public sphere... Anyone who's anyone, like, if you're just hypothetically, if you were on a television show being, like, interviewed, talking about this topic is, like, impossible. Like, how, what angle do you approach it at? There's a really good clip uh, that I'll probably link in the description of this video of Muhammad Ali on a chat show trying to talk about UFOs. Like, he fully, like, believes in it. And he says, like, the, the chat show host is trying to talk about all the things that you'd want Muhammad Ali to talk about naturally, boxing, <clears throat> The rest of it, who Muhammad Ali is to the people, but Muhammad Ali's pretty fixed on talking about this UFO that he keeps seeing in his garden, and he's like, he's like, stop trying to change the conversation. Like, I'm serious about what I'm talking about, and there's loads of clips of people that people consider to be quite well, you know, well accredited people, achieved great human feats that just so happen to be into this topic. <laughs> And I find that very, like, interesting. Yeah. It, it's either, like, the most people on the planet or, like, some of the most smartest people on the planet are into this stuff. But which one is it? You oh, can't... You, you don't know. That, that's... So, uh, and very much to that effect, we see the Neary family and how the experience affects the Neary's. The film quickly jumps to the scientists that we saw at the beginning of the film. Um, and uh, with the United Nations experts talking about increasing UFO activity and different phenomena that's occurring um, across the globe, including like a ship that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Um, and that and was found again in the desert, India. The Gobi Desert in India. Um, and then people in India see UFOs that like and start chanting yeah and they start um, emitting musical notes the UFOs do um, and that's something that we see 
Spielberg went through a whole thing of what the alien should look like and how they should communicate with us. And we'll get into this when I start talking about the production of this film because there's a few films that are like known for aliens and the way that they portray the way aliens communicate with our race, I think is very interesting and how famous, like, there's a film called Alien and that's probably the most famous version of an alien that we know. And I think the alien in that film is fairly counterintuitive to us actually understanding what other life would be like because that alien just wants to kill us and has no human-like emotion at all. To me, that's... Apparently, that's not, apparently that's not supposed to be an alien. Cause yeah, obviously now, we didn't know this in 1980 or whatever. No, when it, when it first came out, yeah. They've expanded the whole thing, and it, that mm-hmm. I find interesting. Like Prometheus is a better film than Alien. People might not enjoy me saying that, but I inherently just Alien's just like a good action film, and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine, but mm-hmm. it's not like what Prometheus is, and it's not what Close Encounters is, which is like a comment on a very real phenomena. Whereas like Alien is sci-fi, science fiction, and mm-hmm. people probably get angry with me and say that this film is science fiction but we will look at the production of this film and Spielberg's endeavours into the actual UFO phenomenon after we finish talking about the plot um, to be honest like it, it, the way me watching this film and the situation that's going on right now it's all very similar obviously as, as we get as we get on in, in the plot yeah, the U.S. Nimitz UFOs that are currently... You've probably seen them in the media if you're listening, but that story is inherently tied to this film, and we'll we'll get to it, Martin. We will get to it. So, yeah, we see some more UFO phenomenon happening in India, UFOs that are, like, communicating with humans via music, and we also see scientists and politicians trying to communicate with this intelligence Um broadcasting signals to outer space and they kind of get a response back you know six numbers they don't at the start though they struggle at the beginning yeah yeah they 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 send the the message back of constantly back and forth um well constantly to the sky and to space and they get nothing back but then then they start getting the same thing back the same thing back constantly um, the same the same numbers and people are constantly like what is this well what are we talking about but then you sort of see that the man realizes that it's the coordinates. coordinates yes they yeah. are called they are specific coordinates and we see a kind of special location for the first time being what oh, did you see what? it it's named here, but I don't want to say it until, unless we see it in the film for the first time at that point. What? The Devil's Tower in Wyoming. The big mountain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I was talking. I was talking about like the what the thing is like when when they were sending a message over to to us and we were replying back with the same message. I, I just didn't understand how. How we, if it actually happened, or if it already happened, as a, as us, aliens have come and contacted us. What you mean, real life? No, 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 no. 
what I'm saying is, if in the film <clears throat> they get a message from the aliens, and then what we do is we interpret that message as a good sign and send it back. But how do we know that that is a good message? Or how do we know that we should be saying that back? Like it's, it's oh, yeah, very, it's very like, and that, that's a very interesting part about talking about this is when I think most people like to think that the first life that we're going to find is like a germ on a rock or like a snail or a beetle or something like that. But mm-hmm. oh, it, I just it's think just, it's going to be bigger it, than that. <laughs> and I think it's that just we're weird. Going to our place a little bit. <laughs> it's just weird because you like if if an alien um, species is trying to talk to you. And it's trying to be like, hello, how are you? In their own language or whatever. You're not going to be like, reply back like, hello, how are you? You know what I mean? Like you're, you're trying. Well, seemingly, trying to, yeah. language isn't something that is commonly used around the universe, if I had to take a guess. So, um, well, but well, that, that's a far out concept that we'll get to uh, mm-hmm. a little bit later when there's a bit more context around what we're talking about. We see that these coordinates point to a massive tower that is known as... It's a big mountain. It's, it's like a big rock structure in Wyoming, which is where Kanye's ranch is. Um, right. Apple's Tower, and you probably know about it. It's like a real famous... It's called a butte, actually, It's which is composed of indigenous rock, and it's 1,267 feet above seawater. And it's about 900 foot tall. And it's quite, it's impressive. Like, it's just an incredible looking structure. And that is where these coordinates are all pointing. Um, So, from the science, scientists and politicians' point of view, and the military, they have to go to that mountain. They have to be there. Do you know what I mean? What pisses me off about it is how much... The government just seems to go, oh, well, you know what? Let's shut it all down. Let's. Whoa, whoa, let's... Whoa, 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 whoa. So, exactly. What happens here? So, the gov- they did. They make a decision that they mm-hmm. received the message from space and its coordinates to this, this location. And obviously, it's a scientist that's going to first make that discovery because they know they understand how to work the equipment to talk into space. Then, a scientist is probably going to tell someone from the military. Or I can't work out if it'd be, be a politician, like someone from the United Nations, or it'd be the it'd be the United Nations. The scientists talk to the politicians, the United Nations people, and they make a decision on what the military are going to do about it. And what the military end up deciding to do about it is locking the whole area down and telling all of the the common man, i.e., me, you, the listener in this situation, that there's a toxic nerve gas that is a it's a dangerous area to be in and everyone has to leave. Mass panic, evacuations, you know, which is... What's happening event, right now? It's the sort of event that if it would happen and one of you were to kind of voice any sort of scepticism regarding the event, you would be called counterintuitive to the overall morale and you've got to fall in line and do what the government are telling you to do which is probably correct like for 
99% of people, you know, like that's, uh, this is what I think. People have to be controlled. And there's a lot of people. Like, you know what I mean? Like there has mm -hmm. to be some sort of way of controlling everyone. And it seems fear is quite a good way to get people like to like do things. Yeah, right? they think gonna, on, of course. Yeah. If they think they're going to die, they'll probably do what the people that they've they been told. How? Yeah, they're going to do what they're going to say. So, and it, you know, that there's like a whole realm of conspiracy talk surrounding events like this, and it's like they're controlling us, and it all gets very paranoid and stuff like that. But like. Yeah, you're being controlled, like, all the time. Like, all the time. All like, the lots time. of different things. So don't think that you're all, like, in control. And you're probably not, like, who are you to be in control? You know, like, if you're complaining about the way that the world runs, like, politics and stuff like that, what you're basically saying is, if I was in that office, I could, I could do that job much better than that person's doing that job. But I just don't think it's the case. And I don't no. think the common man has an understanding of what it... What I, I don't. I don't think I can run a country, so I don't see why <laughs> all the pubs should be full of men that act like they should. Like they, they, they could. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it, I, it makes complete sense to me why, if this was happening and we were going to be talking, we were going to be joining a wider family of races and different intelligences and all sorts of different things that might want to be communicating with us you might want to get all like the idiots out the way and like make sure that the people that first speak to this intelligence are like people that actually know what's going on on the planet and like represent the human race in a positive way because if you land in certain areas of Leicester I can tell you for sure the aliens would probably like have a look around and be like we've made a bad stop here boys and bugger off back to Alpha Centauri or wherever they're from so <laughs> what exactly like go back to fucking wherever you came from yeah, you know yeah. humans do some scary stuff sometimes so like the military response that happens in this film I think is quite reasonable although it is a deception against the public but you're being deceived all the time so don't get annoyed at little things like that um but mr neary is an exception okay let me just have a a point for what you just said right there is no way there is no no way right that you can know whether something that wasn't made, born, constructed in this planet will think that it's outside this planet. Do you know what I mean? Like, if an alien race seemed to come to this planet from wherever they came from, and you wanted to have the smartest people making sure that they they are welcome when they come here. What if they're 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 not good well, extraterrestrial that, forms? Because yeah, if yeah. that happens and you have all the fucking smartest people in the world in one area and they just decide blow it up, we are left with who? The well, idiots. that's like, 
that's an interesting for. place to be coming from and again we will see at the minute I start talking about the background of this film a lot more of it is going to make sense and there's I only like to talk about films that have like fruit that you can take away and apply to your actual life and you can mm-hmm. definitely go into the production of this film and find out a load of stuff about the nature of the phenomenon and there might be people listening that don't when they hear the word UFO they think about like five foot tall big headed mine what is that resoundingly heavy bass noise that through my I'm not sure let me let me see if I can try to stop it alright <laughs> that'll be cool I'll be back in a sec I'll be back in a sec that's I'm back um, Sorry. Sorry about that. No problem. What I was saying was, um, there's, I still think there's a lot of people that when they like hear the word UFO and when we like when you're having this conversation, you're talking about aliens. Number one, it's all nonsense. Like, there's no confirmable, solid, real, credible evidence. That's like a massive conception. Number two, the idea is that like the craft is made of like cogs and nuts and bolts and like engineering that we understand which I think is just absolutely ludicrous and number two uh, number three the biggest misconception is that there's no like characteristics of the phenomenon like I call it the phenomenon you don't want to call them like UFOs because as this film shows at the beginning there's a whole bunch of phenomena that humans call unexplained and people get really like specialized into it because these topics are compelling, especially when you have one-on-one experiences with them. If you becomes a matter of perception as well, because consciousness is a big part of this phenomenon as we'll learn. But if something happens to you personal, then it becomes very hard to detach yourself from it. And you become like detached from the normal world, as you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, when this film was made, this film was made in 1977. It was made in 1976, I assume. And at this point, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of reports. And what we will find is that the US military was publicly looking into these reports. Like, that's like now, if the, a branch of our government had an official UFO office. They probably did. Um, well, they don't have an official one right now, but um, I think all governments obviously have offices for this stuff. Multiple offices, I'm assuming. And it, the way that government works is that it's all, if you're like building a plane that's like a special project and other governments are meant to see it, you'll be working on a very small part of that plane because it's a very special, every part on a plane like that is specialist and you will be working on a very small specific part of it and you probably won't know what that part is being connected to or is being, you know what I mean? There's no need mm-hmm. for you to know that. And if, no, every, and if you knew what the whole plane would look like, then you're a liability because you know about the whole project and stuff like that. So that's how these things work within government and the beginning of this film shows you several different events, but implies that they're all connected in some way. And 
you just can't end up becoming like a Bigfoot person or like a Loch Ness monster <laughs> person or like a UFO person because because it's bigger than that. Definitely well, bigger. For all extensive, for all intents and purposes, they are the same thing. They are like an intelligence. They are something, and there's not really a word. We're finding the lexicon to talk about it, but there is an intelligence that seems to be like communicating with the human race and it has been for thousands of years and it has shown itself in many different ways. Be it muscly Greek gods that have lightning bolts that they can throw or be it a hairy ape-looking-like thing in a forest or be it a silver disc that flies through the air it seems to have an awareness of our culture and who we are as humans. So it's like that Rick and Morty episode where they like, Rick has built a whole universe to power his car battery and he has to go into that world because his car battery stops working and he finds out that the world that he has built to power his car battery have discovered alternative electricity that means that they don't need to create the electricity that powers his car is spaceship anymore big problem for rick so rick has to like deconstruct their civilization and like <laughs> basically they've he's done the person the civilization inside the car battery have done the same thing rick did and he's created a universe to make power for them and that's it's so funny because the quote is oh that just sounds like slavery with extra steps yeah with like do you just think the you constantly think people that make these shows, the people that like come up with these ideas. I definitely haven't conversations like this one. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. They like they're not even having conversations like this one. They're like like they've evolved. They know way more than well, what they know, we know. Yeah, they will have actually like encountered probably parts of this phenomenon and stuff like that because. So much They've is seen something at this level of society that we deal with that it's just so easy to ignore subtler nuances within reality. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. um, you got nine to five and you got work and then you got like the family and the dog and the pub and the pint and the beer and it becomes very easy to just tune out. Yeah, it's, well, it, it, it's not like. I feel like we've there's certain people that have been molded into yeah work pub family work pub well, you're, family. You're, 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 you're channeled that way as soon as you're out the womb mm-hmm. and it it's, I don't blame these people it's not like a, a, a you know there's like a you feel sorry for, and I'm not like out that position yet like we're there, Mike, me and you. Yeah. Like you're, no. going to work, you're going to work tomorrow, so... Yeah, the, the, the thing is... But it's the awareness of it that allows you to... You, I know that I have to... I, like, work, I don't have to go to work, but if I want to make something of myself, I need to start somewhere. Well, you know that it might not be forever, so it's not... Exactly. Well, go it's, it's, uh, you need. I need to start somewhere. And like, there's people that are, like, happy just like at work just like you know what I mean they turn up every day and they smile and like they wave and they're like oh what gets me just is, another day in the office just what gets me is even with people from 
that I work with now, that have been there for like 20 years plus, right? They come in and they complain about the job that they've been doing for 40 years. Like, how is that mentally, like, how is that, st- how, is, how are you keeping stable when you've been working at the same place? You suddenly, not suddenly, been hating forever. Do you you know just I mean? call it, it ain't life, man. I'll tell you that. It ain't life. It's fucking bullshit. It's either you do enjoy you hurting yourself here all the time, or you're, you're scared. You're scared you, to do you somewhere. You can do whatever you want. And be, if you don't know that, then you feel trapped. Because mm-hmm. you don't feel like you can do anything. You can do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. If you put your mind to it, if you like literally want to do... Like, the internet was made for this. This is yeah. exactly what you use the internet for. Like, okay, fair enough, 1950s, you couldn't be like... The unless you read every... The films and music that our grandparents and parents loved and listened to was made on worse equipment than we are currently yeah, exactly, exactly. No excuse. No, no excuse now. in gear, work out who you are and start doing. That's right. And this is not a motivational talk. <laughs> this is a motivational video. You can do whatever you want. Discussing close encounters. <laughs> Kind. So the Devil's Tower is completely blocked off by the military. It, toxic nerve gas has spilled from a train, and the scientists are setting up their landing zone, or what they perceive to be a landing zone for the UFOs that are coming. And it's at this point as well that Gillian, the child, uh, the mother of the child who Roy nearly hit at the beginning of the film before he sees his UFO, her child um, is actually gets abducted. Taken, yeah, gets yeah. abducted by but a UFO. It's the, the, if I recall correctly, the what? It's quite emotional. Like she's like screaming. Like <laughs> the thing is, oh. yeah, yeah, she's screaming. She's like crying, but she had it coming. I gotta tell you, she had it coming. I tell you at the at the start, it's like exactly at the start. It's like she neglected her child, right? And then this time, it fucking happens again. She lets him go through a dog door. Yeah, I do remember. What? How the? She lets go and let let him do that. What are you doing? You'll be holding to that child like it's the last piece of bread in a prison where the gods don't give you food. I don't fucking know. That's you know a great I mean? analogy, but I just got to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in two seconds. Okay. I got to go. I got to go. That coffee's gone straight through me. You need shit? No. <laughs> Again, she neglected her child. I think that's a bit harsh. What? Although the child doesn't seem particularly like children, you know, pretty good at like immediately reacting to things like crying over stupid stuff and, and whatnot. But this child seems quite intrigued by the uh, presence that's calling him. I mean, they they weren't really I just don't understand the whole why. Do you know what I mean? Well, they I think another point that we'll get into, but children do seem to have some weird inherent connection to this whole thing. 
No, no, no. What I mean, what I mean is like just I just don't understand why they took him. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into this. Um, so that's the whole area of this phenomenon, Martin. The the children look, side of it. Look at the end. At the end of the day, this woman, this woman is just needs to be put down. I don't know. Um, I think that's a bit harsh. <laughs> but yeah, just get taken into the sky. Um, she's obviously quite distraught about that whole thing. Yeah, after she lets him go. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no worries. At go this on. point, Roy's family is just breaking down. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, do you see that, uh, uh, the woman? I don't know. She didn't sort of seem to have a, a husband or a boyfriend or any sort of spouse. Yeah, single, 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 single parent. So she she can sort of like do whatever the fuck she wants. You're just Roy really the, the infidelity between Roy and her. Oh no, you're saying that she doesn't have any responsibility, but Roy has really yeah. dropped all yeah. responsibility. Yeah, yeah, he, she, he's got he's got a family, and he, he's just be like every time he's trying to do something, he's like, oh honey, you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it, you love shit like this. Well, say that back. He doesn't say that, but he just says, oh, you love stuff like this. Um, doesn't he build a huge version of the Devil's Tower in his land? Yeah, yep. And yep. what's it made out of? Dirt. <laughs> Dirt. Uh, um, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> rubbish. And this woman's fences that she uses to keep her ducks in. Oh yeah, there's uproar, isn't there, about the fence? <laughs> She's like, ah, you can't take them. It's like, I'll pay you for these. No, nah, just take them. Is what she says, and I'm like, so he, you say you can't take them. He says I'll pay you for them. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's okay. You can just take them. Oh like, well, yeah, because she's what? probably like worried by his erratic behaviour, and she's like, I'll probably just like let him have them, just to be like <laughs> make him leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but why would she say anything in the first place? Because she, she's because you'd be like, why is, sort of, why is this guy coming and taking my fence? <laughs> okay, so if somebody's coming in to take your fence, and you're like shouting at them, "Don't take those!" And then when he says, "I'll pay for them," then they're you, okay. okay. Then he says, "You'll pay for them," and you're like, "Oh shit, this guy really wants my fence, and he looks kind of crazy." Yeah, I best just give him what he wants, and I'm gonna go back. <laughs> Shut up! No, she doesn't go back inside. She comes back outside to keep her ducks in, or oh, yeah. whatever they are. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just it was the that some scenes in there are just so funny, just because it's like. It, well, it's Roy's erratic behavior that it really makes me. It made me laugh. Yeah, watching that film. It really, <laughs> the bit where he's like, um, at the time he. Uh, when he's like, <laughs> what was making me like just feel like what the fuck is going on? Is he's throwing everything through the window? He's just and he's, in the way he does everything. Isn't he? Yeah, like it's not like he's going through the front door. Nah, he's throwing it through the window. All this shit, throwing it through the window. Plants, uh, compost, bricks. <laughs> fences all through this window and then he crawls through the window instead of the front of the house and i'm like what the f what is going on with this man what he's 
obviously very compelled regarding mm. the whole thing. There's another scene where he's like taking rubbish out of well, the Ben men are coming to take his rubbish away, and he he fights with the Ben man to get his like rubbish bin back, and he throws half the trash, half the rubbish on the floor. And then takes the rest with him, thinking that the guy is just going to take the rubbish from the floor and put it in the machine, the, the truck that they have. And it's just, what is, like, what is happening? And what is happening? In this chaos, Roy just happens to see on the TV about this toxic nerve gas that has been spilt <laughs> and the closing off of the Devil's Tower. And he has this moment where he's like looking at the TV looking at this stupid thing that he's made in his lab, <laughs> looking at the TV, and he's like, I gotta go. I gotta go, that's I where I gotta go. go. I gotta and go. Gillian, the mother of the child whose kid gets abducted, also um, sees this broadcast, and they're like, that's it. That's the place. This is it. That is the place. Obviously, there's... Um, his wife leaves him, takes the three children, and he's like, he couldn't care. <laughs> He just could. Well, he does. He does try to care before he sees this thing on the TV. When he's like, the reason he sees it is because he finishes a call with, with uh, not Jillian, Ronnie. Yeah. With Ronnie on the phone, he he's like, oh, we need to talk. We need to. It'll be. It'll, it's all come like it's all gonna go back to normal. It's all going back to normal. He keeps like throughout the film saying that he's gonna go back to normal, and he just then. Just as a trance where he needs to fucking build this shit over and over again. It's so, like... So, It's I mean, funny and, like... Like... I wouldn't say inspirational, but, like... Educational at the well, same if, time. If we're talking about, you know, the things that normal people value... He's throwing it all away. Sanity. Family. Good wife. <laughs> job, all out the window. I don't. I don't see how sanity. Um, I'm just saying, um, all the people in that neighbourhood would have oh, thought that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. What <laughs> town? If life will return back to normal, and Roy's just gone, as we know that he may well be at some point, everyone would just be like, Roy went mad. That'd be like. That'd be the headline. Yeah. Roy. Roy went mad. I'm, and he's probably lost, so he's probably killed himself. Yeah, and all these like untoward stories that, that develop, and basically his name is slandered, and you know he wouldn't be part of um, that society anymore, which is quite sad. But is it all worth it? You know, is he crazy, or is there something genuine to the um, the thread that he's following? He starts making his way to the Devil's Tower. And this is like, I love this bit of the film because you get to see the levels of understanding <laughs> that exist surrounding the lockdown at the Devil's Tower. Before we, we get into that, I just, I just had a, a thought about his, about his wife. I feel, I feel for her. I feel for her because at the start, you see that she's, she's very like understanding. She's like, Okay, you're you're waking me up at two in the morning or whatever the fuck time it is. Um, makes it so hard. She is an understanding wife. Yeah, she's like very very understanding. She's like, oh yeah, well, 
you're you're, you're doing this or whatever. But at, at the same time, she's also like, you're talking shit. You're you're definitely not. It must have been incredibly difficult. Seen, for yeah, her, you're you know? definitely not seen whatever. And but the thing is, she sees it. She sees it. So why is she going crazy? Well, well, that yeah, that's a whole. Because she sees the swallow, isn't it? Yeah, but like she sees the same shit that Roy sees, but he's more like inclined to be like, I believe it. Yeah, I believe what it is. And she's like, No, that that was just the military. I don't know what you're talking about. That was just the military. I'm like, Okay, all right. To admit that there's more going on, (laughs) it's a big acceptance. Like you have to like put your ego down and be like, We're not top of the food chain yeah. but yeah I, I do feel for it too it's quite compelling um, the or as intriguing as it might be to follow like down that rabbit hole it, it very much does mean this is why the people that are probably like actually into this stuff like on a government level like CIA people probably don't have a very good home life Mark like you know probably what I mean? not no probably not yeah and stuff like that just because you're so out of it out of the normal thing but yeah it's fascinating as these people all start to make their way to the devil's tower you also see a family in the car don't you who are like evacuating you see people um, in the car. yeah you see people evacu- evacuating yeah and they're, all all like, and they're all freaking he, out yeah because he he's he's driving towards uh, Wyoming, and Everyone it's else. just fucking double cars, double lane of cars going one way. You know what I mean? And he's like, everyone's like, you're crazy. It a, there's gas and shit like that. Like, people are just full on panicking. They're like, oh shit. And then you see like um, a sort of a um, uh, a scene when they get to, well, he, get, he gets to Wyoming and he he fal- he sees Jillian, that woman. Yeah. Uh, and they're sort of like, oh, so you, you know what it is too? You've seen it? You know what it is? And she's like, yeah, 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 we should go there. And they're sort of like, they're like, oh, well, we can't, we can't head through the main streets because it's all closed and all that shit. So we've got to go cross country. And they go, obviously, across country and then they see just loads and loads of animals either dead or unconscious I'm not sure which one it is oh yeah they're all been like um, it's so people think that there's nerve gas isn't there but they've actually been killed they've all been like put to sleep yeah but you don't you don't know that till like later on you're like before you do it you're like they must be dead because of the nerve gas but really smart smart one you know it's a cover up but then the whole area is like military out, isn't it? It's all, there's yeah. military everywhere. But what is interesting is that the military don't know what's actually going on. No. They don't. They're just being told no. to protect the area and like, they do not know what is going on on top of that mountain. So this is like levels of... So um, many levels. On yeah, levels. so many levels. So you'd think there's a great love for the military, especially in the British <clears throat> The average soldier is just that. 
like an average yeah you're one level up from joe on the street but like it doesn't mean that you have like a security clearance like you might have a security clearance but there's many different security clearances so like it's, it's not just one the only way you'll know is if you're like the the person leading the army it's just like, the same as i explained about if you're working on part of like a classified project you're working on a plane you'd only be working on a very small part of it and it's the same yeah. for like any sort of military exercise you are a small tool that's applied to the bit of the job that you need to be applied to but there's only mm -hmm. like very small handful of people that actually see the whole project and it should that's probably i can understand why that happens the risk just becomes lack of communication between all the different branches and whatnot Sometimes that's wanted mm -hmm. by the people that are seeing the whole project, but I don't know. It's interesting looking into the way that things like this go down. The military don't know what the scientists are doing. And am I right in thinking that Roy ends up speaking to the scientists that we've been seeing throughout this? Yeah. Thing that I've been uh, dealing with. Uh, Mr. Lacombe? Okay. Yes, Mr. Lacombe. Lacombe, yeah. Um, uh, and they, they have Dr. Lacombe, don't they? Yeah. And Dr. Lacombe understands that Mr. Neary is like special. Yeah. But the, mil the thing is, there's a debate between like the military, they don't want someone, if I remember correctly, Lacombe is like, you can't be here, but you need to be here, basically. Yeah. So it, it just happens, he, he just. So they have a conversation and they ask him questions, but they never answer any of the questions that he has. Like he, he's like, who are you people? I want to talk to you, manager, blah, 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 this shit. And they just like avoid what he says and then ask him a question. They're like, yeah, how yeah, did you know about this place? And I was like, well, I, I drew it. And he's like, oh, all right. It's sort of like something big is happening. Yeah, well, um, it ties into their research. Yeah, yeah. So he sort of like, after the, the conversation they have, they're like, oh, yeah, you need to go back to the to the main bit because it's toxic gas, you're going to die, blah, 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 all this shit. And just before the airplane, well, the helicopter leaves to uh, take him back, they're like, uh, just hold on a minute here. Like, that's what Miss, uh, Dr. Lacombe says. Just wait, wait a couple of minutes here. And then you guys talk to the, the, um, the supervisor or whatever that's leading the troops, I guess. And it's sort of like, no, we can't have these people here. No matter what, we can't have these people here. And then Lacombe says, just explain to him, how are these people that were invited here by a non-known like they're like yeah like military scientists them like they've yeah. actually been invited here like they're the yeah. ones that e exactly be. they're the ones that should exactly that's exactly what i said it's like they're the ones that should be here and why are we like stop this the, these are a few people out of probably hundreds who keep drawing the same thing over and over again and these people probably saw the tv the tv news about wyoming compared you couldn't imagine you could imagine that 
there's hundreds of other people that haven't seen that but have been drawing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Making uh, their life. But it's still fucking... he still doesn't get the um he has to climb up the mountain himself, doesn't he? He doesn't actually he still gets told to leave. Yeah, yeah. So he he gets told to leave and instead of like while he's in the helicopter, he's sort of like, you know what, I need to find out what it is. I need to find out what it is. It means something. It's important. He keeps saying it over and over again. So he's like, who wants to come with me? So then Gillian says yes. And then there's other people that tried to break in, isn't there? And him and Gillian go rogue. Yeah, they they go rogue. They're like, they take off the mask and then they start running across somewhere. uh, Or across this like field. Is it dogs Um, or helicopters that are coming for? Helicopters. Mm. And they sort of like <clears throat> they Lacombe sees them run away, but doesn't say anything because he wants him. He wants them to be there. Yeah, he wants them to be there. And obviously, that the army person sort of like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna use if if in by twenty one hundred hours. Not everyone has been um, has been evacuated. We're going to use the nerve gas to knock everyone out, <clears throat> so nobody can see what's happening. And sort of like, obviously, that means that Roy, Gillian, and one other bloke that decided to go with them, they need to move quick. Now that one bloke decides, oh no, I'm just going to chill here, and just chills, then gets knocked out by the gas. Yeah, yeah, Gillian and Roy, on the other hand, ha, they they're very they're more smart, and they, they start to take cover quicker than this other guy did, and they see the show. What's about to unfold? Yes, and we get on top of this mountain through all this chaos, evacuations, military operations, you know, nerve gas, all that chase. It's very quiet. So quiet. Away from all the chaos. And there's just like less than 50 people set up on top of this mountain. And it's all been set up in a very controlled, calm way. And they're going to try and use the same sequence of notes that were heard in India to speak to the UFOs. And... What they see is the same UFOs that they saw, that Roy saw at the beginning, appear. Then they play notes on a keyboard, and the alien, the UFO plays the same notes back. Then the UFO opens, and we see... You're missing, though, because it's not... It's, it's not just that. At the first... They play the notes, and three UFOs come in. Mm. They're sort of like lined up with each other, and then they play the notes, and then each each one sort of like moves at a certain angle and does does the note differently. And mm. then what happens then? Oh, then 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 the, that's what happened. It's like seven different UFOs come in, and they all come and sit at this one place 
in the tower and then they start like going around not the tower the the mountain they start going around uh, i'm guessing in a controlled way mm. and then they all leave and then there's just one huge ufo that is on top of this mountain oh, so yeah. big and that's like the mothership that's like the mothership and that's where it this one was a lot weirder than the other ones because the other ones saw like not like they open differently because you don't see them open differently but they saw like stay in the same position this one flips itself over to to be able to um open the hatch so then people come out i guess yeah and the people who come out are quite fascinating people. We see the crew of the planes that were lost at the Bermuda Triangle at the beginning. We see the young little boy that was abducted. He uh, He's there. Yeah. We see missing sailors from the boat from that turned up the in the boat, desert. Yeah. Um, and Barry, the child, is is reunited with his um, mother. mother. And then... Who doesn't care about him. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, the aliens are seen. Spindly little small figures based on... Yeah, but the first one is huge. Yeah, he's massive. That's, that's the like big boy. 12 foot, at least. Yeah. With, like, his arms were, like... Longer than his body, almost. Yeah. Weird, like fingers as well, mm -hmm. and a big, bigger heads, based on like you know the classic gray, gray aliens, yeah, gray alien thing. Mm -hmm. Basically, Roy gets selected to um, join the crew, as it were. This is what I'm telling you. It's my dream. Well, the well, that's why I said when you first said that that the people immediately around you might find that quite a selfish decision. They miss you. Yeah, I know. But, like, this is a one-in-a-lifetime, like, situation. You're right. Like, not, not even one-in-a-lifetime, like, one-in-a-million-fucking-lifetime situation. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... One, like, you are the person. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. there's... For me, no one else that could do this. If, like, if I don't do this, I'm like... It could be the yeah. It will be the worst like worst decision I've ever made in my life. Because like I could learn so much from them and bring it back. And Roy Neary leaves it all behind. All of it, which is why I was I was I wanted to say about the boy. I'm like, why are they taken? What was the reason when well, they we'll, returned him? Like we'll get to a this. month later. And that pretty much is the film, right? There. That is yeah. That's the first hour we've devoted to kind of laying out what Close Encounters is from a plot perspective and what what did you think Martin? What did you think of it? Just quickly. As as well, an overview of it I guess it's just it was a it was a, just a the life of one man who decided to trade it all to explore the universe and did you like it like yeah. Just, uh, I, 
yeah personally i told you it's my dream so yeah i um i don't know like it's 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 one thing that like i look up in the sky and just like whoa can they take me now i think it's part take of me now the human experience for thousands of years looking up at the sky and kind of feeling a sense of um longingness or like you're part of this bigger thing the stars have been a big part of our culture for a long time now and um, you know people in 1977 also agreed with you Martin because uh, the budget was 20 million but it made 306 million Um, and this film I'm going to talk about the production of it now and why Steven Spielberg made it basically and where he was at in his life and what led him to end up making it the film he made before this Martin was Jaws (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so like, yeah from jaws to this yeah, it's yeah. a big step that's what i'm it's saying and jaws was the f- let's go back steven spielberg probably one of the most famous filmmakers that everyone knows but what they probably don't know is that in 1964 he made his first ever short film called firelight which has never been released fully it was made how old was he when he made it he was 17 when he made it and it was made with $500 and at that time that must have been like loads of money well no not really like still under a grand what 1964 500 pounds he made it it's it's the same sort of production that we put together now Martin that's the level he was on Mm -hmm. Um, and just a quick plot Firelight follows a group of scientists as they investigate a series of coloured lights in the sky and subsequent disappearances of people, animals, objects and from the fictional town of Freeport, Arizona. Among these abducted are a dog, a unit of soldiers, a young girl named Lisa whose abduction induces a heart attack in her mother. The film involves a subplot involving a divorce between the main character and his wife, Debbie, the obsessive quest of the main uh, character to convince the CIA that aliens are real. The twist comes as the aliens, represented by three shadows, reveal their purpose, which is to transport the whole of the town to their home planet to create a human zoo. (laughs) So that's the first idea that Steven Spielberg had. That's the first thing he decided to commit to film. That shows you... 13 years later. Well, it just shows you where his mind is at with this topic. He's, mm-hmm. like, interested in it. Like, mm-hmm. he is... If it's the first thing you thought about when starting making films, then you know that it's the last thing he's going to be doing yeah. before he does. And he made that film when he was 17, but even before then, he claims that his kind of fascination with the phenomena of the unexplained in the universe began when he was watching a meteor shower with his father when he was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Jaws, there's a very famous scene at the end of Jaws where a shooting star, or, you know, people like to call it a shooting star, but there's no, like... He hasn't mentioned anything. Well, it's not basically. like in the cast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't say shooting star played by... Like, it's not specified what it is. Yeah. It is a shooting star. It's a real shooting star. A real, oh, a real one. Yeah, and he, it was like, I think it was like an accident. They captured it on the film. 
but he kept it in because it looks cool. Like, it looks really cool. So, like, that's Spielberg's vibe. He's gonna... He loves the unexplained and he loves the UFO phenomenon from a very young age and it was the whole reason that he even got into film. I'll also point out at this point that one of the first films that Spielberg made that was put onto television and that kind of got him recognition was a film called Jewel, written in 1971, which is about a man driving down a road and then a very large truck pulls up behind him and starts shunting the back of his car and that truck is like the villain of the film basically now I feel like I've seen that you will have it's like referenced in a lot of different media um, this big truck being behind you shunting you it's, it's quite a well used motif at this point mm. uh, so he made that film I know I said that he had fond memories of a meteor shower with his father, but he made that film because his father was like so on top of him when he was younger, basically. And that truck is meant to be his dad. Yeah. So he has like this kind of, what's the word? Um, treacherous relationship with his father. And there's like, he's from a family of divorce, but he is just in love with the unexplained and the unknown. And that is like the essence of Steven Spielberg and like his films. There will always be a strong family element and you'll see the ups and downs of family life and the reality of it and the, the difficult emotional bits. But then you're also going to get like this air of, mystery and and whatnot and that is like in all of his films from like ready player one all the way back to like jaws sort of thing i mentioned yeah i mentioned this because all these themes do pop up in close encounters um we didn't mention it talking about the plot but there's that scene when roy is first handling the backlash from his ufo experiences like at his house breaking down about it he's crying about it because like, yeah. it's like intense and the son is like what well, you wuss you baby you baby and it's like this pretty intense emotional moment between the family where the son is shouting at the dad because the dad is not acting like the man the son thinks the dad is and it deconstructs the image of the dad <laughs> and pretty powerful stuff um that's obviously like real you know what i mean that's like a very real scene like you can tell that that is Stephen writing from experience so there's no reason why the rest of this film was not written from experience, from experience. Stephen <laughs> puts like important like he what he's showing you on the screen is important there's no this film isn't just made to entertain you this film can educate you massively and I say this because you need to understand that the UFO phenomenon is like real or at least a lot of people including the people that like helped make this film and people that are in the government and people that are celebrities and all sorts of different people will tell you that there are largely credible aspects of this phenomenon and I'm going to call it that because that's what it is it's a phenomenon that we like can't explain that's the best word to describe it it's it's a selection of different things that can happen that all fall under the same bracket, namely that bracket being, we don't know what it is. Um, and 3000 years ago, you may have called that like religion 
and depending on what country you lived in, you'd have a name for that religion, and all the gods would have different names, all the things that may appear to you would have different names, and it's it's all done via region. But as time has has moved on in the medieval times, it became very Catholic um, in Europe at least, uh, and America eventually, once that had all been set up. We're talking about demons and angels and all of that in the medieval times, and they were the things that appeared to people. If you, if you were to see anything, it would be an angel or it would be a demon. Now, post-1950... It would be an alien. Well, there's this whole... You call it like the New Age movement. If you if you don't understand that phrase, go to Wikipedia, type in New Age, and just glance uh, what that umbrella covers it covers like astrology it covers like the ufo phenomenon it covers like tarot card reading it covers bigfoot it covers like your loch ness monster stuff it covers yeti you know all that stuff that you might have heard of that is known as unexplained mm-hmm. basically at the turn of the 1900s a lot of stuff was happening you know, like the world as we know it was like becoming what it was. And that's kind of what the, the world wars are. That's like all the countries that have accumulated large amounts of wealth and ideologies and different ways of running their little slice of the world that they own, bickering about which one of their way is best to run the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the power was spilling over the borders of the countries that they ruled, and it, it was becoming apparent that someone needed to like rule the world. You know, there needed to be like one way for the whole thing. We're not there, like we're we're getting there in 2020, but um, this was like being thought about, like 18, eight, they, you know, middle of the 1800s, moving towards the 1900s, and what hadn't like existed was like intelligence agencies. So I'm talking about like MI5, CIA, governmental, government existed, but it was like a change of the guard from like royalty. So like 1600s, 1700s, like royalty still like the dominant force. 2020, royalties are just like poster children for the country now. They don't have like genuine power like that but in like 1700s that's the way it was so somewhere between 1700 and 2000 there was a changing of the guard and like government became the way that things were ran well government's like a large enterprise a government is like hundreds of people in all different departments doing a small job like we were talking about before um and that's like a whole different way of running things you understand um and each I said that there were no intelligence agencies in medieval times. Well, there were, and they were called, like, the Knights Templar. And you might have heard of these groups existing, like, your kind of Assassin's Creed games, or if you've seen, like, the Da Vinci Code. And what these thing, these groups are... Like Knights of the Round Table and stuff like that. Like, they, yeah, they, it's all in everywhere. Well, they popped up because... From biblical times, okay, let's say like zero, <laughs> zero AD is like the beginning of like, um, is like from the moment Jesus died to now. And there's people that lived when Jesus lived that we can 100% say actually lived, like Pontius Pilate, the Roman emperor. So that's kind of like a very solid place that you can grip onto and say that that happened, you know? From that moment on, 
the Middle East was like Jewish or Catholic, basically, with like small communities of Arabs that were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they practiced kind of like a, it wasn't Judaism and it wasn't Catholicism. It's like a, a mishmash of paganism with ideas from those other religions mixed in. But all of a sudden, knocking around like 600, 700, that sort of period of time, one of these Arabs uh, starts talking to an angel in a cave, apparently. Uh, so an Arab in a cave develops schizophrenia, and then he names that schizophrenia or whatever he saw, and he goes down to the big black cube where everyone worships gods, and he says, you're all, like, wrong, <laughs> because I've just met this dude in the cave that's told me that he's, like, the right god. Which sounds very much like Moses on you know, in the Bible, <laughs> you know, all these religions are just people that see things that other people didn't see. And then they say like, whoa, I'm, I'm the one basically. So that, I did, I, I did it first. Don't know what you're talking about. So that happened and Islam started to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it got so big that it kicked all the Christian people and all the Jews out of the original place where they were from the Holy land. Where, like Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, Jerusalem. So, like, from 700 to, uh, I'm going to get it wrong and people are going to kill me, but I think it was, like, 14, 1500, it was run by Islam, the the Middle East. And you'll find that it still is today, which is, becomes this interesting thing. But, um, so, Christianity was kicked out, and that's why Christians came to, like, England and Rome and Turkey. And that's why Christianity like took over Europe because they were kicked out of where they're originally from. And they came here. And that, as the years went on, the Rome, the Catholic Church was like, we'd like to like um, go back to the Holy Land like one day. <laughs> that was like the plan. And they figured like, if we're ever going to do that, we need to set up like some sort of like outpost near or it's as close to the Holy Land as we can be without getting killed, basically. Now, we can get a plane these days if we wanted to travel to Iraq, the Holy Land. But back in like 800 AD, walking <laughs> from Britain to Iraq was quite a travel, quite a journey. So this yeah. outpost that existed in the Holy Land needed to be like a hospital as well to heal these people that had like made the journey, basically. Um, and once they got to this place, you needed to be a pretty strong man to make the journey. Only like men doing this thing because of the way women were being treated back then. Um, so, and they called themselves knights. So these knights would make this pilgrimage to this hospital, okay? And the knights that made their way to this hospital in the Middle East were came to be known as the Knights Hospital. And that is the first version of the Knights Templar. And it's also the first ever intelligence agency. Because what you've actually got happening there is two religions fighting one another. And that outpost is basically just an intelligence agency that are trying to take back the Holy Land. You understand? Yeah. So these these would be young kind of men that were up to the challenge of traveling from Britain to the Middle East in the name of their religion. And it's like an army. It's like a, they're secret agents for the church. Like, for all extensive purposes, it's the first CIA. It's the first MI5 that you've got, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm just trying to remember how this even connects to this film. <laughs> yeah. It definitely does. It 100% does. Um, you kind of like lost your train of thought. No, no, no. I, I remember where I was. My point was to show that the Knights Templar, in, like intelligence agencies, as we know them, were popping up in like the 1930s, 40s, and 50s for the first time as we know them. Yeah. And they were based, the way that these organizations run are based upon those old organizations, like the Templars and the Hospitallers and, and, and all of that. That's why that's important. And the intelligence agencies are important is because they deal with national security and things that might be harm to different nations. And that is where this information ends up, basically. So if there is anything legitimate going on, you imagine be. that it will be scooped up by intelligence agencies. Mm -hmm. And some weird, some weird stuff starts happening around the turn of the 19th century. I'm going to put a load of links with this podcast if anyone wants to go like look up any of the stuff that I'm talking about. But one of them would be what's known as the Tunguska event. And if you go to Wikipedia and... What is that? Go on, tell me. And look at the Tunguska event. Well, I'll read it out to you, Martin, exactly what it is. It's, I'm not promising that this is going to be explained, but it says the Tunguska event, Tunguska event was a large explosion that... A occurred near the Tunguska River in Russia on the morning of the 30th of June, 1908. The explosion happened over the sparsely populated Siberian tiger, and it flattened 80 million trees. 80? 80! 80 million trees. 80 million, Martin. It's classified... What the fuck? The explosion is generally attributed to an air burst from a meteorite. There's no crater. What? Nothing hit the floor. It, it is classified as an impact event, even though no impact crater has ever been found. There are, How? There are tribal communities. It's the largest explosion to have happened, like been recorded on the planet. It's the largest impact event in recorded history. 80 million trees. Okay, okay. So Just imagine the diameter of one tree. Yeah. Four, one full... Um, it must have been... Bonkers. I want to go there one day. But that happened, and it's unspecific as to what that is. Then, at there the must time, be. Yeah. Well, there was, like, folklore that existed before government gets as official as it is and before intelligence agents exist. You were living on folklore. Angels, demons, yeah. fairies, and gnomes. Yeah. Now, that sounds, like, silly, and especially in Britain, because, like, big culture around, like, fairies and gnomes. Like, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of children's television used a lot of that imagery and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. It's quite interesting if you actually like look at what these fairy things like are. They're meant to be like balls of light that float around and sometimes take children into forests. And um, <laughs> that's 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 it. Well, here we go. Um, that's I'll close encounters, mate. Yeah, I'll link again in the description the link to what's known as a changeling, Chang changeling. I don't know. I've never said that word. Changeling. Yeah, changeling. Never read, but basically implies that there's like a. <laughs> 
fairy or some sort of demon that comes and takes your child and replaces it with like a demon child like an evil being and that child then grows up to be like bad and it always feels like it's not part of this world and 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 that (laughs) that's the story of uh um i've just seen a film that has the same sort of story hellboy hellboy oh yeah i need to watch hellboy there's loads of a cool like stuff tied into that series apparently um if you find out if you the thing is a changing's whole life is to become that children's taken uh life so like obviously if the the changing gets taken no the the child gets taken and once the child gets taken it's swapped with the changeling but the changeling becomes that person and it's like but there's still like this weird like thing where they feel like not part of the society that they live in and that makes it yeah. difficult for that thing but, to but they don't but they don't know that well it's like uh, the journey but, of them like working it out isn't it yeah and then well in Hellboy you can um, you can see that once you like once you see that the once the changeling has been found, he will turn it will turn into a a monster and it will stay like that for the rest of its life because it's yeah. been found. So it's so weird. So that, that comes you just said that exists in folklore and it's it's fairly well known and it could happen apparently you're meant to stay away from rings rings are problems big circles in forests of mushrooms or flowers or and they're called fairy rings and apparently that's where mm-hmm. you that's where you'd get taken sort of thing so that all sounds like very cute and fairy tale and lord of the ringsy almost but it, like, there's there's massive parallels there between that and the UFO experience. It just looks different. The experience is just slightly different in what happens. We've mm-hmm. in this film, you see Roy Neary. He's normal. He has an experience with this phenomenon, and then he's weird. Yeah, that's a change like changeling. For all extensive purposes, all the people that knew Roy, Roy changed to them that day. Yeah, Roy was never the same again. That's what they'd say. So it was taken. Well, whatever you want to fucking call it, his, mm-hmm. his brain chemistry changed. Something changed, and that it seems to be what this phenomenon can do. It seems to have a direct grip on the framework that we're running on, and it can twist our knobs <laughs> and dials, you know, and like mess with the frequency that we're tuned into and whatnot. Um, Another event that you might want to look at that happened around this time is known as the Battle of Los Angeles. I'm just going to type that in. And that actually happened whilst World War II was happening. Los Angeles is the name they describe. And basically what happened is in the middle of the night on February 24th, 1942, just an incredibly large object was spotted over Los Angeles and the military proceeded to absolutely pound it for like hours like uh, hours let me try and find how long what like they were shooting anti-aircraft guns like which shoot shells martin that are like the size of this at it for hours and it just carried on going and very slowly in the direction that it was continuously going 
Um, and it ended up on the front page of the paper. And the because the war was happening at the time, the implication was is that it was like the Japanese. But oh, the ice cream man's there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Get yourself a knobbly bobbly. What the fuck? What is the ice cream man doing? He's a good bloke. Social distancing. I saw one on Victoria Park today and I thought that, like, how do you serve the ice cream? But whatever. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mentioned that because if you see the picture that was on the front page of the paper, it's bonkers. It's like eight, seven or eight searchlights all pointed at this one thing. And it, you can't, like, see what it is. But there's been loads of people that have, like, taken the photo and, like, meddled with it and stuff like that. It's definitely not a smoking gun. Something happened, and, like, hundreds of people saw it. And this is the thing. There's numerous events where there's, like, hundreds of people. One more event I'm going to mention, and there's relevance to all these events and why I'm mentioning them. It's because they're referenced in Close Encounters. The last one that I'm going to mention is called Fatima, the Miracle of the Sun, which just sounds crazy. Like, that, they're words that you're probably not used to hearing. Um... And what that was... Fatima is the name of one of... Um, of this Indian girl that I know that I used to work with one of my mates called Grant. That's good to, good to know. I hope mm. Fatima's doing well. And, well, Fatima in this she case is. is a place in Portugal. And in 1917, three children claimed they saw the Virgin Mary. Okay. Right, right. And these children claimed to see the Virgin Mary a fair bit and started telling people that they were seeing the Virgin Mary in their local village. And everyone, in a very normal manner, said, ha-ha, you know, kids being kids and stuff like that. And eventually the kids were like, yeah, yeah, Mary's going to like appear at this time, at this place. And the word spread around the village and a hundred thousand people, Martin, turned up. A hundred thousand people? I can show you From pictures. a village? From they, one... They came from all over Spain, Portugal, and Europe. When I say the news spread, I mean the news spread. <laughs> well, when did this happen? 1917. But they, they kind of like built up a name for themselves. <clears throat> so... The main event happened in the October of 1917, but it started on in like the spring. They started seeing the Virgin. Um, the children reported a prophecy that a prayer would lead end to the Great War, and that on October 13th, the Virgin Mary would reveal her identity and perform a miracle so that everybody may believe. Okay. And what happened? So the 13th rolls round, a hundred thousand people all turn up in this field. They right. saw the sun dance. The clouds opened. I'm just going to read exactly what it says. 
After a period of rain, the dark clouds broke and the sun appeared as an opaque spinning disk in the sky. It was said to be significantly duller than normal and cast multicolored lights across the landscape, the people and the surrounding clouds. The sun was then reported to have careened towards the earth before zigzagging back to its normal position. Witnesses reported that their previously wet clothes became very dry very quickly and the wet and muddy ground had previously been soaked and was completely dry. That is just simply like a hundred thousand people. There's pictures of this shit and it looked like a music festival mine. Like crowds as far as the eye can see. This all sounds like nonsense. This sounds like the words. There's like so many pictures from the event. It's mind boggling. This sounds like nonsense. It sounds like the sort of thing. In 1930, the Catholic Church, the Pope, officially admitted that that was an official miracle. (laughs) Wow. They still, to this day, in 2017, Pope Francis approved the recognition of the miracle involving two children who were involved in the Fatima event of 1917, which paved their way for canonization, which means they're treated the same as Jesus and his 12 disciples. They're part of, like, the canon. So, that's just out there. That is just out there for you to go and look at. And, like, stuff, that's just one event. You know, I can give you a hundred more if anybody wanted to have a conversation about it. You can get what I mean. And that's why at the close of first encounters, when you hear a man talking about the sun dancing, that was like a 20 minute thing that I just said to you. Difficult mm-hmm. to like wrap your head around, pretty crazy. But close encounters just like brushes over it and just shows you the phenomenon quickly and shows you that all these events that I'm talking about, Tunguska, Battle of Los Angeles, Tunguska is natural phenomenon. Battle of Los Angeles is a military event, and Miracle of the Sun would be considered Catholic dog shit to most people. Those three things are all in this, all triggered by the same intelligence. That's the point that one must understand, or at least that was the understanding of the U.S. military in in the 1940s. That was like these were the conversations that were being had because these events were happening. I'm sure you've heard of a band called the Foo Fighters, Martin. Uh-huh. Everybody knows about the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters, that term, what does that mean? That's not a normal term. That term, Foo Fighters, is only known for the band. Well, I'm sh- Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters, who started the band, will tell you that Foo Fighter was a term that World War II pilots used to come up with small balls of light that would fly alongside their planes that the British thought were German intelligence. Then the war ended. German didn't have that technology. So it was like, well, what was that then? Like, and it was... They asked the Germans? Did the Germans say... That's what I'm saying. The Germans said... The war ended and they asked the Germans and the Germans were like, no, that wasn't us. Um, they thought it was us. It yes, was the US. They thought it was us. So they called them the Foo Fighters. And Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters obviously thought that was a horrendously interesting story. And there may, any, there may you know, um, I'd like to play devil's advocate with myself. For anyone that might be like, well, it's just a coincidence. He just saw that term and liked that term. The first album was released on Roswell Records, which was a record label set up by Dave Grohl himself. So Dave Grohl has an active interest in the UFO phenomenon, as do many different famous people. But I'm just showing you how these events have massively influenced the culture and the world that we live in today, but a lot of people like aren't aware of them and stuff like that. 
Um, so because these events were building up and the public were knowing about them, the Roswell event then happens in, I want to say it's 47. I should know this. I've looked at Roswell many a different time. It is 47, June of 1947. And that's like the most well-known UFO case that has been brushed off as a weather balloon or some... A weather balloon. Crap, wasn't if, you, if you ever think that this shit is what the government is telling you to say, even though it doesn't look like what they said, then you... But Roswell's lost important. It. Yeah, Roswell's important because it's like the cherry on top of the cake. It's, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back in the government's point of view. The issue becomes so public at this point that the government starts an official office to start dealing with UFO reports. And it's the first time that ever happens. So that's important. Is, and it's is called- that still going on to this day? <laughs> well, this is the whole thing, Martin. What's it called again? Project Sign is the first version. Mm-hmm. Hang on, just let me check that. Because uh, the name of the UFO project that the USO uh, that the USA runs just changes all the time, and there's a reason it changes all the time, and it's so people don't pay attention to it, and it's very clever. But for people that do want to pay attention to it, it makes it difficult keeping track. Of it. So when it was first set up in 1948, it was called Project Sign. And Nathan Twining, who was an Air Force general, a very well-known Air Force general, um, initially called it Project Saucer, but then it was renamed to Project Sign. And the goal of the project was to collect, evaluate, and distribute within the government all information relating to UFO sightings on the premise that they might represent a national security concern. That is official government legislation acknowledging that there is something happening in the sky. And that was over 70 years ago. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That happens. You seem seem to be getting into this. (laughs) I see that. And you can't kind of watch this I think it adds a whole new dimension to this film and one may want to listen to this go look at the things that I talk about then rewatch that film and realise that maybe life's a bit different to what you thought it was but so Project Sign happens um, at first the project hypothesised that it must be Soviet weapons World War 2 had just like happened and there's all this fear about like Russia because they've scooped up some of Germany scientists and technology and whatnot and now like America and Russia all have nuclear weapons and they're like pointing them at one another and it becomes this Cold War thing that we all know. Um, Project Science Final Report, which was published in 49, so that means the project ran for just a year. It's just like a year look into it. That means in 1948 it was becoming a problem to the government that people were saying they were seeing things in the sky. So Constantly. Yeah. So, so they made a. Yeah. So they started looking at it, and the last report in 1949 stated that whilst some UFOs appeared to represent physical craft, there was not enough data to determine their origin. Almost all cases were explained by ordinary courses, but the report recommended a continuation of the investigation of all sightings. So that means taxpayer money was put into the continuation of the sightings. That means the government thought that there was cause 
to keep spending your money looking for something that most people think is absolute codswallop. This project was then renamed to Project Grudge. And I bet it just keeps getting changed every year so people don't follow it. Well, you catch on, Martin. You catch on fast. Uh, Grudge is ran by a man called J. Allen Hynek. Now, Mr. Hynek is a very important man because he is like the leader of it all. He is like the head scientist that knows the most about all of this. He's also the reason that everyone thinks that all UFO crashes are either swamp gas or weather balloons. Because he said to the public in a newspaper, in a press conference, <laughs> a good amount of UFO sightings are weather balloons and atmospheric phenomena. He also said that 10% of them, we don't know what they are. And that's the bit that people should have focused on. But it's the weather balloons and the swamp gas bit, the bit that we can identify that has been zoomed in on. They're like, they're like oh, okay, so if 10% can't be identified, it must be a, a weather balloon because the other 90% are what it is. It's like, well, if you can't identify it, you can't really say that it is a weather balloon or not. But they say, I, I sort of get why people are so like reluctant to look at it just because of the fact that if you if you're given a big margin, and then about something that is like oh, well this is explained ninety percent of the time, and the other ten percent of the time it's not explained. People are constantly just going to be thinking, well, if we should go with the ninety percent and not look into the ten percent because it might be the same thing. Obviously, yeah. this is not this is it's not it's well, not that's, true. It's, that's it's not, what happened. Like that is that's why it's happening a, right now from a public's point of view that is basically what happened and it was really pushed that most of the viewings are explainable but if you look mm -hmm. at the hard data <clears throat> they are unexplained cases and it's in those unexplained cases so grudge eventually becomes this thing called project blue book that's starting to ring some more bells now for you yeah, yeah. so see how it all becomes stuff that we end up... We're only learning about Blue Book now. The History Channel has a show on Blue Book, and it's the sort of show that wouldn't get taken seriously by scientific people, so I don't see it as, like, um, good progression. Scientific people? It should be... Should be... Scientific people should be looking into it. They should be paying attention to it, but it's mm. because it's on the History Channel and shows, like, Ancient Aliens ah. History Channel, and it comes with yeah. a certain stigma of the history like there was a time when the history channel had a good reputation for actually showing incredible history but it's moved into areas now that people don't see as credible so anything that's on the history channel is now not seen as credible which is just bonkers it's become like the opposite of what it started out to be mm -hmm. but people will know blue book if they watch like twin peaks because it's transpired that that is what Twin Peaks is basically about, Operation Blue Book. And it's been in quite a few different bits of media. There's te a said television show on the um, History, Channel. History Channel, Battlestar Galactica talks about it. There was a show called Project UFO, which was uh, pretty on top of it. And Blue Book's like the culmination of Sign and Grudge. So, like, Sign gets turned into Grudge, and Grudge gets turned into Blue Book, and all the data from the previous ones gets put on top of one another. So, Sign was in 1947, Grudge was in 1949, Blue Book was in 1952. And um, I said, in that 
little bracket of UFO sightings that were unexplained, you can go find. People, namely one individual, has put all those sightings together. And that's some of the most fascinating sightings you will ever read, Martin. They are ones where people get out of craft and actually talk to people. And there's, like, communication going on. And for a hot second in the 1950s there, there seemed to be, like, a very real thing going on that's very different to the UFO phenomenon that exists today. It was either, if I, like, <laughs> a lot, it... There's good reason to suggest that, like, Russia or a small percentage of the Nazi thing was, like, operating the UFO or had something to do with the UFO phenomenon in the 1950s. Because something happened in the 1930s <clears throat> called... A man wrote a book called War of the Worlds, which was about aliens invading. Yeah. And a man called Orson Welles read that book over the radio and people turned their radios on and didn't know that it wasn't the news and that it was a book that was being read and they all thought the world was being invaded and it caused mass panic and Stalin who was running Russia at that point looked at America and thought well they're pretty like easy to control they're pretty scared of them like aliens that don't really exist you know that's like quite like a good um, good way to get them all to panic and like shake things up over there so let's just say that there's people that love the idea of aliens and they're putting their own ufos up there made out of dust and bin lids and shit like that because that was definitely mm -hmm. happening that yeah. was <clears throat> happening then you <laughs> identifying planes in the sky and thinking they're ufos then you've got potential planes that the military might have actually been flying around that were like a bit quicker than the ones that everyone knew about so then people saw them, and they're like, I don't know what they are in the sky. Then you've got, like, this thing that was going on between Russia and America and possible breakaway parts of the German constituency that might have been using the UFO phenomenon for mass fear and terror. And then you've got the possibility that there might actually be, like, this phenomenon at play, like an intelligence that's, like, dealers. So they're all the possibilities of what a UFO, like, can be. And they're all... So the many... Yeah, that are all the data points that were covered across, like, Project Blue Book. Um, Project Blue Book ends in 1970. Okay. 1970? Yeah, it goes on for, goes on for you know... For 18 years. Yeah, 18 years. It has a pretty good... And it ends with this thing called the Codon Committee. Now, the Codon Committee is, like, the last time that the U.S. government openly paid attention to UFOs. And it's probably because they actually found something. Well, J. Allen Hynek, who ran Blue Book, was constantly contacting the Air Force, telling them to go back over the data. Okay? Mm -hmm. The military basically set up a situation where they could, they could say a press conference. Yeah. And they could speak to the public and say that this isn't a problem. Like, it's not a national security issue, so we shouldn't pay attention to it, and the U.S. government will not be paying attention to it anymore. That's what happened. And Project Blue Book was shut down, and from the public's point of view, UFOs weren't a problem anymore. No. 
They were. They, they ain't real anymore. They, they've disappeared. So, one may say at this point that we have drifted far away from what, the movie that we were originally looking at, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Um, Just a little bit. Now, that man that ran Project Blue Book, Dr. Hynek, he had a apprentice, a uh, an intern, if you will, a young French boy by the name of Jacques Vallée, who worked at the French UFO. He was interested in the phenomenon in the 1950s in France, heard about Hynek and Blue Book and the government's work, and... He was like a scientist anyway, and through his scientist <clears throat> managed to go to America and become Hynek's like right hand man with the whole thing. Now, Jack Fillet is like, if, if you're talking UFOs and you want to get in that game, you can go buy a load of books about people that reckon that they got like stuff shoved up their anuses and they're going to talk about like meditating to talk to aliens, and it's all going to get very weird. Or you can go read a Jacques Vallée book and get some of the most, like, credible information you're going to see on the topic. He's, like, straight. Like, you could show him to, like, your mum and dad. He's like a school teacher. He talks like Jordan Peterson, kind of. Like, oh, he's, really? that, he's that kind of character. He's not, mm-hmm. like, a weird dude at all. He's, he's very, like, normal. And some of it, his books are, like, they were groundbreaking in the field because it Back in the 1950s, all the men, old white men that were like in the American military at that time, were not ready to talk about like spiritualism. The 60s hadn't even happened yet, you know, like free love equals and all that. Like that hadn't even happened. So you've got these men who are like pretty much Christian. Their parents would have been pretty strict Christian. Their parents grew up in like the 1800s and it was a lot stricter the dogma, Catholic dogma, sat on top of you a lot more back then and this thing starts happening and a lot of them thought looking into this stuff was like the stuff that we shouldn't look at. It's like humans trying to be God and it scared them and they said from a religious standpoint we shouldn't be looking at this stuff and it's like the devil and it's demonic and the craft were definitely made of screws and nuts and bolts and Jacques Vallée was the first one to look at everything Heineck had put together and say, this is obviously a wide phenomenon. That obviously, he came up with what's known as the multi-extra-dimensional hypotheses. So whereas you've got all these people that think it's nuts and bolts and they flew here and it's all very much like a car but in space, then you've got Jacques Vallée that's like, no, 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 this thing can like appear wherever it wants and it comes from like a different band of reality than we're like tuned into. He was saying that in like 1957 and people were like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Who the fuck are you? But he stuck next to Hynek's side and basically spent a lot of time finding out that Hynek was part of a group called the Rosicrucians. Now, the Rosicrucians are a group very much like the Knights Hospitaller that I was talking about earlier. They are kind of like a secret society that meets up and they're like lightly Christian in their operation, but it's more about humans getting together and using their unified spirit to create something that's good for society and the human race. That's like the whole vibe of it all. And it's an so offshoot. Fair play, then? 
Yeah, it's an offshoot of like Freemasonry and the Knights Templar and all of that. And it still exists to this day. That is one that is still operating right now. And Hynek, leader of Project Blue Book, is like part of this group. And Valet, Jacques Valet being his young protege, gets like read into the group, basically. Now, everyone in this group, so it's like a... I know this is a lot to take on board. Rosicrucianism is just like the rule book that they play by. There's loads of different Rosicrucian groups around the world. Yeah? Mm -hmm. This specific Rosicrucian group calls themselves the Invisible College. And basically what they are are people in the US government and intelligence community that have the same ideas about certain things. Namely, mm -hmm. the way aliens yeah, and the way the world works and spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And because those topics, you're not really meant to talk about them in the science community, and you're not really meant to talk about those things in government and stuff like that, they have to meet in secret. And do it. So that, at this point, in 2020, that is 100% fact. The man has written many books on it, and what Jacques Vallée is doing now, he's still alive, Jacques Vallée is very old at this point. Um, Probably like 97. He is getting the... 80. No, no, he's 80. So he's, he's 80. Yeah, he's not doing too bad. Um, Valet went on to work on the first version of the internet. This man is, like, important. This is not just, like, Shit. some UFO kook that wrote a book. The man works at Stanford Research, which is, like, the scientific place in America to be working for. He worked on ARPANET, which was the first wide area packet switching network, which is the internet. And he was working on that in the 60s. He was going to websites in the 60s. Like, he has been aware of the world that we live in now for a long time before it even existed. He knew what it would look like and all of that. So, Valet is, like, important. And Valet, from... I think he released the first one in 1980. So in 1980, Valet released his diaries from the 50s. From the 50s? Yeah, when he first was meeting Heine and all of that. And then in the 90s, he released his diaries from the 60s. Then in 2010, he released his diaries from the 70s. And he's only just released, they're called Forbidden Science, volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4. And they're getting more expensive every single time he releases one. And I think it's because the information in those books is, like, cutting-edge. I've read... I've got all four of them. I've read number one, like, cover to cover. But then the other ones I use for, like... I don't have time to, like, read them all. But if I need to know... I've got them on the Kindle app. And if I need to know what Jacques Vallée thinks about a certain... UFO case or a certain thing within the UFO world, I can just go into the Kindle app and search that book for that word and it will take me to the day, the exact day when Jack Belay first became aware of that thing, which is a good resource to be having. Yeah, those, that's fucking sick. Those books are crazy full of information. He meets everyone that has been mentioned in the UFO game. He basically Damn. gives his opinion on them all. He meets all sorts of people. <clears throat> He even meets a young filmmaker called Steven Spielberg who decides that he likes Jacques Vallée so much that he's going to write a character called Claude Lacombe, all based on Mr. Jacques Vallée. And he has many conversations. The guy, the guy with, plays him well, though. Yeah, he does. Well. And so 
Claude Lacombe is kind of this mix of Heineck and Valet put into one person. Which makes Close Encounters an increasingly true story because you see the government it's operation. It's either science fiction or a documentary. Well, I'm just going to read to you this is what Heineck actually had to say about the film. Heineck himself only died a few years ago. He's, he's a well-known individual. He died, I think it was last year. What am I talking about? I must be thinking about someone else. Heineck died in 86. Um, <laughs> there's someone that's really important in the UFO world that died a couple of years ago. But anyway, Heineck, about close, he was hired as a scientific consultant on the film along with Valet. And... This is what Heineck has to say about it. Heineck felt that even though the film is fiction, it's based on the most part on the known facts of the UFO mystery, and it catches the flavor of the phenomenon. Spielberg was under enormous pressure to make another blockbuster after Jaws, but he decided to make a UFO movie. He put his career on the line. And it made, it, it made him so much more money. Spielberg asked NASA to be involved in the film and NASA sent him a letter back that was 20 pages long saying that the film was dangerous. It was at that point that Spielberg knew he had to release the he film. He had to. He has to. He has so, to. So, you asked me a question a second ago. Is Project Blue Book, or do we do, is there a, a UFO program right now? Yeah, I did ask you. Well, officially, the answer is no. And unofficially, as of 1970, it ended there. But what I can tell you, and for maybe when this information first came out, people there was no like connection between the UFO phenomenon and and what I'm about to tell you. But I can tell you now, and it, and the connection can be made through the people that worked on these projects. Is that I'm just trying to find the year of this before I say it. In 1978, only eight years after Blue Book shut, and I imagine this project took some time to set up and stuff was happening, a lot of different programs were happening that was crazy. A project called the Stargate Project was set up, and the whole point of the Stargate Project was to well, it was actually set up in response to the idea that the Russians had managed to set up some sort of um, mind control unit of their government where they could take soldiers and kind of wipe their brains and make them run into battle with no fear and stuff like that, creating what would be known as like a super soldier. And they were experimenting with things like hypnotism and they were also experimenting with people that claimed that they could like remote view which is for those of you who don't know something that spiritualist people claim they can do where they can visualize a time and a place and actually be there and see that place like be it mars or be it the dinosaur age or i've seen no end of people talk about remote viewing it's another one of those things like the ufo phenomenon where there's a load of absolute surrounding it and there's like a little bit of nugget in the middle where there's actually some people where some stuff's gone on where you're like okay that's happened um now two people that set 
Project Stargate up. One of them was called Russell Targ, and the other one was called Harold Putoff. Are like really well known in the UFO world right now, but back then, this is like what they were doing and what they were known for. And do you know who Yuri Geller is? No. Yuri Geller is a man that is known in British culture for bending spoons with his mind. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But that's just what he's known for. And he drives a car that has all the spoons <laughs> he's ever bent glued to it. Really? Uh, and that's just his whole deal. And, like, you know, my parents know who he is. He's a very well known figure. Best friend to Michael Jackson. Just even weirder on top of all of that. Wow. Um, Geller was bought to the US in the 1950s, uh, 60s, sorry, by a man. It's pretty bonkers. I've never said any of this stuff out loud. I know this narrative incredibly well, but it, a lot of it I've never said out loud. This is actually... You're getting it out there. Yeah, this is perfect to talk about this now. In 1971, so one year after Blue Book shuts, right, a man called Andre Adger, Putriarch, Put God, I can't even say. It's a crazy name. Andridger. Give me a sec. Yeah, yeah. You what? What do you need to take? Where is it? I need to go down. Uh, give me a second. Somebody needs to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should I have to edit this? Yes. I need to find out how to say this guy's name anyway. What was it again? Andrija Puharich. 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 Fuck man. Sounds like a German name. Nah, he's from Croatia. Croatia? <clears throat> You should probably, uh, I've got not a lot of battery left on my phone. Well, you better get plugged in. I can't, because my phone's on, like, this thing that holds it up, and I can't put anything underneath it. How long do you think you got? I don't know. I just got to like another hour. Like I'm an at hour nine, left. Well, you got to think it's 2020, and I'm at 1971. <laughs> You're gonna go for. You're gonna spend four hours doing this. No, more than four hours. No, I want it to be three hours. I don't know. Because I need the room as well. What? Martin, I have job to do as well. Only I need to come here sometimes because I'm looking for something I can't find. Okay. Go into another room, Martin. What? Go into another room. There's not another room where there's nothing behind me. No, that's so not, too, not too much of a problem. Just yeah, yeah, that's fine. I can do that if I need to. But yeah, we good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done. Yeah. So Blue Book ends 1970. Then in 1971, a man called Andrei Aja Puarich, who is a Croatian man, who basically made his way into the Pentagon as a psychological researcher, a physician, and author. He's just one of the most outrageous human beings you may ever 
come across Martin. This man has led a life that should not be real. If half of what this man has claimed to have done and experienced is real, then this reality is simply not what I was sold, at least. Now, the deal with Mr... It sounds interesting already. Yeah, the deal with Mr. Purridge is that in 1952, he was going to a lot of parties... And at these parties were, like, famous people. Namely, he got talking to an individual called Arthur Bell, who was the founder of what's now known as Bell Helicopters, one of the biggest helicopter companies in the world. He got talking to one of the members of the Astor family, who are one of the most wealthy families in the world. Um... Several different people like that. Nine of them specifically that all seem to have a certain connection to Mr. Purich. And at a party, a Hindu mystic called Dr. D.G. Vinod <laughs> was known for kind of being able to get himself into a trance-like state where he would speak in a voice that was not his. And Purich was quite interested by this concept. Um, one day I'm going to make like a video essay on YouTube, like explaining this whole story with sources and everything. But because it, there's this sounds like nonsense, but there is full. I can tell you whose party it was. I can tell you like this person who used to host these parties, 100% did used to host parties, and she was known as like a socialite and. The whole story's there. Like, the whole thing is there. I'm just brushing over it right now because, number one, because I don't want to confuse too many people listening and because I don't want to confuse you. I want to keep it, like, nice and easy. Yeah. Dr. Vinod, as at one of these channeling sessions, claimed that he had contacted a group of intelligences that called themselves the Nine. <clears throat> the, the Nine. The Nine. Now, I'm just going to point out that the Greek pantheon of gods and the Egyptian pantheon of gods all had nine all-powerful gods. So there seems to be some correlation between... Sounds like uh, the plot of the Holy Mountain, nine immortals. <laughs> yeah, it's these immortals that are being mm -hmm. referred to, and these immortals come up in 1800, 1700 spiritualism. There seems to be nine intelligences that span the human psyche and represent everything that we know, the good and evil and the duality of man. And these intelligences apparently were communicating with Mr. Purich from the years of 1952 all the way up to about 1980 and through different people as well, which is even more bonkers. Now, Yuri Geller meets Purich in 1971 and under hypnosis starts talking about these nine, the nine. Again. Yeah. All right. Um, Perich claimed that he observed Geller turn metal into gold using psychic power. Perich stated that Geller teleported a dog through the walls of his house. What Martin, In his dark biography of Geller, Yuri, the mystery of Yuri Geller, Rich claimed that with Geller, he had communicated to 
super-intelligent computers from outer space. According to Purich, the computers sent messages to warn humanity that a disaster is likely to occur if humans do not change their ways. Purich claimed that extraterrestrial beings had communicated to him that Geller was the chosen saviour for humanity, and he had been given the ability to contact flying saucers and perform paranormal phenomena such as psychokinesis. He's dead. Yuri Geller is alive right now and goes on British television all the time and talks about a whole load of shit that ain't this. And it's very peculiar. <laughs> um, like, it's not that I'm confused. I'm more like, if this actually happened, then, like you said, this is... I, so, I'm not sold with this, this, this fucking this, this reality we're in. So, all of this sounds like nonsense, and why would there be any need in ever listening to this tribe? Well, you find out that Purich was running or had very close links to Project Stargate, which was using taxpayer money to see if any of this stuff had military application. Harold Putoff, who ran Operation Stargate, was like um, a Scientologist before all of this, and he got all the way to the top of Scientology and then left Scientology. So he... One may even suggest that Mr. Putoff was some sort of American spy designed to get all the solid information out of Scientology and then bring it to Stanford Research where he set up the Stargate project. You know what I mean? And use all that information that was actually legitimate in Scientology because Scientology has been written off as this crazy thing because everyone's seen Tom Cruise jump up and down on a couch and they're like, oh my God, he's crazy. He must be Scientology. He must be making him go mad. And there's certainly parts of Scientology that have been warped, but it's just like the Catholic Church in that there are parts of the Catholic Church that are like good. There's parts of Christianity that's like good for the soul and stuff like that. Very much like, you know, Jesus is king and that whole message. Mm-hmm. But then there's parts of Christianity that are like evil and have been set up to trap people and keep them within Christianity. And it's exactly the same with Scientology. And so this thing starts happening in Project Stargate, and it's inherently connected to the UFO phenomenon. Like Geller, Yuri Geller's talking about like people are still seeing UFOs and stuff. And this Stargate thing is happening. And you can go on the CIA website right now. I'll throw these links in the description and look at the Stargate project and the papers that have been declassified from it, and what you will find is Harold Putoff interviewing people that are claiming that they are remote viewing Mars. And it's like 20-page transcripts of people describing a race of people living on Mars and massive pyramids and all this shit. This wouldn't... If any normal person came with this information and said it to you, you'd be like, you're crazy and I don't need you in my life. But it's the fact that this was all funded by taxpayers' money. And obviously somewhere down the line, there's somebody that's deciding to use taxpayer money for this that thinks that this is a good use of taxpayer money, which implies that the whole thing is real. Like, you get it? Like, Mm -hmm. this all sounds crazy, but it happened and it was used with your money. And Steven Spielberg... But nowadays are going to be like looking into this like, well... If I don't see it, it's not real. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it just... you know, we've gotten to this idea that like seeing is believing, but mm-hmm. that creates. I can show you how that mindset is unhealthy, and it's, and I'll show you by showing you that things like the flat Earth mindset have developed out of this. Well, I've not seen the planet as one whole thing, so how do I know that it is a ball? You know, it's flat. 
that's not a healthy attitude. You're not giving people answers, though they're coming up with their own answers based upon the information that they've got, but the information they've got is shit. So <laughs> they come up with it bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's becoming a large problem. And mm -hmm. this is a tale. It, it's, it's like a five-hour conversation, the whole thing. And... I think I've given people enough in this episode to show you that just a simple film that is so well known, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, everybody knows that phrase, everybody knows the like the music at the end of it and the theme and that it's really well known and Spielberg's like the most well known filmmaker of all time. They all choose to talk about this. He put yeah. and there's now I know. There's obvious points within that film that as soon as you start looking into the production of it, you can see that he had an interest in it as a real thing and not just as a fun little idea for a film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is what I'd highly recommend. I'll throw like as many links as I can in the description of this for you to go and do your own research on it. But you've got to have that hunger for it. Like If you're not interested in it, then you're never going to be able to like gain a comprehension of it. Sort no, of, of course not. People, people that are not not so like fully interested in it and just want to be like well I just want to find something that says it's not real and then I, I I'm okay with that yeah, I 100% admit it's it's so much easier to ignore it so mm -hmm. much easier but why yeah. like why make you know why make life easier in lieu of ignorant like you, that's ignorance you'd want yeah. to learn information about stuff that's it just to answer that final question which I have been trying to answer now for like an hour is there a current UFO program within the US government? These UFOs that you are seeing in the news right now were filmed from fighter jets in 2004. They were filmed on the, the planes came from an aircraft carrier called the USS Nimitz and they were doing a training exercise, which is standard. Like you take off from the aircraft carrier and you do exercises to practice if the enemy was in the area and then you come back down to the aircraft carrier and land. Whilst this was happening, a disc appeared. Um, it managed to be very high up in the air and then drop. So it was hovering above the sea like instantly. Uh, it did it performed a few different maneuvers that completely outclassed any aircraft that exist on this planet and performed things that defy the laws of physics. For example, the training exercise was happening a few miles away from the ship and they started to go back to the ship, I think, and the craft was already there. But it beat them there. And they couldn't believe it and stuff like that and this guy the pilot that filmed it from his plane has gone on Joe Rogan his name is David Fravor and um, he says his testimony and this is like the smoking gun UFO case there's no you can't mess with it and people it first got announced in 2017 just as the Trump Hillary thing was happening and it all came from a group called the Stars Academy of Arts and Science started by the lead singer of, the ex-lead singer of the band Blink-182. And when that happened, everyone made fun of him and said, they're filmed on thermal cameras that F-17 Super Hornets use. 
everyone's like, oh, why doesn't it look like an iPhone camera video? Because they're planes and they're using cameras that are used to identify like heat-seeking missiles. It's a different <laughs> yes. world to the one that we're like dealing with. So you see this thing and it's it, and people didn't understand what they were seeing initially. And although to the stars did the best of their ability to label the videos with all of what you were seeing, there was something about the tone and the way it was released that just didn't resonate with people. Mostly because the U.S. government came out and said that those videos were not real. And that caused, like, this weird two-year period where, like, I'd read enough about it to understand that they were real, but you couldn't, like, talk about it. I've had friends, like, make fun of me and, like, whatnot. I don't know why I should expect them or anyone I know to have any sort of confidence in this because no one knows what this thing is. But I just wish people would be open to talking about it and, like not instantly just saying that there's no oh, use yeah. in like looking there's, at there's it. There's no good for us. I'm like, oh, Yeah. No. Then no. two years goes by and a lot happens in my life and everyone else's life for us just to find out not a month ago that yes, these videos are real. Of course they're real. And this is like the beginning of us beginning to talk about this topic for the first time because those people that I just mentioned who were in the government and the military when this phenomenon first started becoming really obvious that said it was demonic and that we shouldn't have looked at it well they died and we've learned a bit more about this phenomenon now and we've kind of got to a position where we kind of understand it a little bit more and we're kind of ready at this point to to deal with it and that's why the conversation is happening right now and in the any, I'll, this I'll definitely link in the description. The videos were first shown in a New York Times article written by Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenfold called Black Auras, uh, Black Projects and Glowing Auras, the U.S. government secret UFO program. And it transpires since Project Blue Book. Yes, there have been UFO programs in the, in the American government. One I knew was, it. One was called ORSAP, and then the other one was called ATIP. And ATIP is Advanced Threat... Uh, let me get it, let me get it. I don't want to... I wouldn't want to get it wrong. Um, ATIP stands for Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Advanced Aviation... Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. So how... Okay, in 1970, the findings of Project Blue Book were that UFOs were not a threat. In 2004, there was a program that was called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, <laughs> inherently implying that they were a threat <laughs> and that we have been paying attention to it for some time. That program started in 2007 and had... $22 million given to it over five years. That's $22 million of taxpayer money was deemed acceptable to go into this. And that is just one program. We know at this point, because the person who ran ATIP is now the co-owner of To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. <laughs> Forward to To The Stars Academy Arts and Science second book, his name's Jacques Vallée. You want to know who the third owner of To The Stars Arts Academy and Sciences? Harold Putoff. <laughs> so, like, the cream of the crop of all these it people. It all comes together. It all comes together. 
Yeah, all those people that I mentioned from like the 70s that were like really involved in this and like involved in the Close Encounters production, they are now all grouped together under one umbrella, the To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. They have this guy called Steve Justice. He used to run what was known as Skunk Works, which was the branch of Area 51 that built like the Blackbird plane and the Stealth Bomber and all of that. He just works at To The Stars now. You've got like all sorts of people associated with that program, with that institution, whatever you want to call it. It's unique and it's certainly scary, and it's like no other organization really else, apart from Tesla's, like the closest of one I can think of it, just in the fact that they do lots of different things that the common man's like, I don't see the connection between rockets and cars. <laughs> that's why you don't work at Tesla, and that's why like you're at the pub complaining about Elon Musk and not changing the world like these people are. And that that'll just yeah, there is a current UFO program, Martin. And it's there's never been a better time to be looking into this stuff. And don't... Been now. Yeah, never go into it with a confidence. Like, this stuff is real. There's stuff out there. And stuff has directly you been... You have to go into it with an open mind. You can't just be like, I'm trying to find a reason for it not to be real. Yeah. And you if something... Go, in, go into it with a reason to, like... Be amazed. Oh, yeah, this actually happened. Want to be amazed by it. And yeah, people like, wonder. Well, you're just like convincing yourself that it is real. Okay, well, that's fine. And if that is the case, then I'll accept that. But I've used the knowledge that I have garnered from this whole, the phenomenon. And that's what I call it. And I put meditation under it. And I put spiritualism under it. I put every act of my body underneath the bracket to be perfectly honest with you mm -hmm. and I've used it to benefit my life so I know it's what you make of it you know do you want to change yourself do you want to take on board things that might change who you are and like the the way that you interact with people and just keep a level head is what I'd say to anyone going into this stuff and just look mm -hmm. for facts just, just look nothing for, else to do yeah something's going on and it's exciting. Mm. Go, go and find out what's going on. It, it, uh, no, it is very exciting to like look into something that may not be explained, but it is happening. You know what I mean? Like, that's explained. Well, I know all the stuff that's explained. I get it. Like how to talk and walk and how to be in society and work and nine to five. That, I get it all. Mm -hmm. a small part like I don't see that as the whole of life but people are like some people that's their whole life but for me mm -hmm. that's just a very that's just the stuff other people want me to do that I don't actually want to but I know how to do yeah this is on this another is level uncharted waters it's like it's exciting it's like you fall in and you look for stuff to cling on to but yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too into it. And you can, the more you talk, you can. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get too much into it. <laughs> you spent two hours in it. Mine is that mm -hmm. with appropriate levels of coffee and food in front of me, I can keep going. Forever. Could, uh, this story, 
this is not the end of this story, and this is just a thin slither of this story. And stories can get simpler. The more you tell them, it gets easier to tell a story, and you get to the point where you can kind of summarize the story in a much shorter way than when you were first learning the story. Like, I can tell you what happens in, like, the third Harry Potter book pretty quickly, under a couple of minutes, if you needed me to. I want to get this story to that level. Because I think there's... There's people the that have directly invested interest in me not knowing this story in a way that I can just like chat with you about it over a coffee. <laughs> the thing is, with because there's so much stuff out there that isn't explained but has an explanation to it, like because somebody's hiding the truth from me, I guess. It sort of makes it, like, more intriguing to, like, find out. Do you know what I mean? Do you know when you, like, find out a piece of, like, that nugget in the middle where you're like, oh, shit, this is the truth. Well, and before we, yeah, 100%. And before we were recording on this, um, we were talking about Easter eggs in games. And it's mm-hmm. just that in real life. I'm just going after the real world Easter eggs. <laughs> A lot of the people in the world are like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've had enough Easter eggs in my life. I don't need it anymore. They are. I, I, I just cannot wrap my head around that attitude. Mentality. Like, yeah. yeah. There isn't. Yeah. There, like, I, I wish. It makes me there feel a, that you must not be comfortable somewhere in your life because uh, or you <laughs> don't understand a part of your life. Because I understand my life fairly well and it that. It's that solid understanding of what's real that allows me to start looking at things that might not be real. There was a um, there was a meme that I saw a couple of years ago that sort of like fits into this quite well, where the, the sort of punchline of the meme doesn't really make sense, but like the the bit that does make sense is when it says, "Born too late." Um, Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, born too late to explore the world and born too early to explore, to explore the universe. Stuff. Born but, at exactly the right time to explore my mind, bitch. <laughs> no, no, no. It says, in the one I saw, it was like I said, born at the right time to explore these dank memes. But that, that obviously, that was nothing to do with it. Yeah? That is not a healthy attitude. No, of course not. But like... The, the, what it says in the meme is like it's so true you know what I mean like there's still places in the world where that need to be discovered like obviously we've only explored 5% yeah, the of the point, ocean nah the point is correct though Martin We're, that's what I was talking about saying at the, like, the beginning of the 1900s everyone had done everything like all the people that mattered the people that had money understood like that like the travel yeah the world and that's why we started thinking about going up. And that's oh, why we started, yeah. yeah, and we started thinking about like the right way to rule the world and how. That's why that conversation even came around. Is because the people that were powerful were looking around like, yeah, we've kind of like done everything around here. Like we've like captured everywhere and got all the things that we want. Mm-hmm. Now but, it's time to capture yeah, other places. Life is like a game, and. There's some people that are like far ahead in the game, and it's that must be really exciting to be. But but it could be like Ready Player One. Could be like okay, fine. You you may have a massive company that works 
into making loads of money in this game to better yourself in life or whatever, but somebody will come along that is not in your company that will discover something you wish you did. Well, instead of having player one is like, be curious. It's that curiosity that's going to set you apart from all the people that think they know everything. Finding that Easter egg, bro. Yeah, it is. there's a whole thing to this like attitude of the Easter egg hunt. It's why I was attracted to the ideas of like the Easter egg when I used to play games. It, there was something about you had to take initiative and want to find the Easter egg. But you don't. You didn't the even people, know. Don't think about it. Like, no, you. you, know what I mean? you the, the, but most Easter eggs that were found, like like when we we're talking about back in the day, most Easter eggs that were found were like stumbled upon no one knew they were there it wasn't that you were thinking about it it's not it's not that you were thinking about it it's more like you were like thinking in a way to find an easter egg normally you have to be playing the game in a way that it's not really meant to be played yeah that's the attitude i'm talking about some people just like in a game are like anxious and they do exactly what the game tells them no it doesn't matter i'll say that after the podcast um But it's the game, or I think a good game wants you to like break the rules, basically, that are put in front of you. And if you get rewarded for like having that curiosity and breaking those rules, that's exciting from a player's point of view. And I think it's a good thing to be doing from like a game designer's point of view because it makes your player feel special and they're going to want those experiences over and over, sort of thing. You know? Mm hmm. It's that same thing in life. You know, if you go to anywhere, Martin, like a history museum or a science museum, or if you go to the Space Center at Leicester, you're going to see lots of signs that talk about, like, weaponize your curiosity. Like, be curious to find out what happened. There, I think that is a big key in life, having, like, an optimistic curiosity into everything and never being like, no, that's not this. This is not like that. I like, just never ever be like that. Just like be open to things. That does make it harder when people keep trying to stop you into doing this being curious. Like the government will like look at look at Roy Neary. Look how curious it was to see this mountain. And the government's just like, you know what? You are curious, but we don't want you to know. Yeah, but the minute will stop you. The minute you get backlash from being curious is when you know that you're on the right you're, track. Oh, you're on the right Sorry. you're on the right track. But like <laughs> as soon as <laughs> Yeah, of course, that's what exactly what you want. You want somebody to be like No. Nah, you got you gotta stop you know, right there, go back. Get in your lane. You know what I mean? Like get in your lane. And then um once you get to a certain point, then you can come into this lane. You can't you can't just jump. You can't just jump ahead. Then when, once they te- once they tell you that, you're like, I'm getting there no matter what. Will they like, kill yeah, me or not? I, I you know what I mean? That curiosity that I first stumbled across in games is incredibly useful in life. Mm-hmm. And to think that I garnered that from a video game and most a lot of people manage to play video games for a lot longer than I played video games and get nothing from them either means that I'm weird and different or everyone's a fucking idiot. 
it's one of them. It's, it's, it's either one of them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know what, like, the odds would say. <clears throat> but hey, well, the odds would say that I'm the weird But uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll see on that one. Yeah. But yeah, that's anyway. Close Encounters. And it's like a really well known film that. It was a very good film. You down some interesting rabbit holes. Mm. Looking at made and you know Spielberg my dream in 2002 made a straight television series called Taken and it was five or six episodes and every single episode featured on a different real UFO case um, that would be interesting to watch yeah so if anyone kind of likes Spielberg's and he's also made Super 8 well produced Super 8 that J.J. Abrams directed which has a similar vibe to this which is a good film I'd recommend go watching um, but yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast, please let me know, because as you can see by this, I can talk at length on this topic. I just assume people don't want to hear me talk at length on this topic for a uh, barrage of different reasons. I would definitely, uh, would you know, we talk about this at length when we see each other anyway, so. Well, yeah, this is what like yeah. me and Martin are talking about in our spare time, but it's more like trying to get where they want to hear about this stuff mm -hmm. um, but that's our goal but let us know like genuinely if you enjoyed the the topic of conversation on this podcast please get in contact with us and in as the always, comments yeah in the comments and subscribe on YouTube and Spotify and it, it means so much to us because it gives us a it puts us a step closer to being able to do the things that we want to do like we're always, I'm always going to do what I want to do, but if it, if it was, if I was supported, wow, I think I could bring like a whole world of, of content to, to you guys listening. So, but uh, yeah, as always kind of hit us up on all the socials, subscribe, follow Twitter, Instagram, M I P L T D. That's right. I've enjoyed it. Always. Same here, bro. Same here. I always like to listen to your little world that you're living in and how you're how you're how you're feeling about these sort of topics that are coming out of the woodworks nowadays. Yeah, and you give me some normality, you know. <laughs> Locked there in my room on my own. It's nice to I'm I'm the one that likes to be like why would you let your child go through a fucking duck flap? Who? Oh, and you always bring an, an, an angle to these films that I Jesus. Yeah. That, Jesus. That smile to my face. So, yeah, I always appreciate the chat. No worries, bro. Episode always 12. Will. We'll see you Episode at 12. lucky number 13. We'll have to do something. That's right. Fitting around that theme. <laughs> no. Nothing scary. Please. <laughs> Peace out. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out.